step on some crap out of Draco's match right there. Fighting through contact, fighting through offensive line, beating a double team, multiple moves stacked into one, just to play a pure domination. This is actual film, this is actual football talk. It's a football show, it's about football, not storylines. And you are listening to another edition of TOJ Film Room, the 47th edition of TOJ Film Room. We're going to change it up a little bit today. Uh, we're going to get a little bit off of the uh, you know, film reviews we've been doing for, for months and months and months. And we're going to bring in um, a former podcaster and a hopefully a spot starter here with, with us a little bit more on TOJ Film Room. Uh, not Scott Mason, not Marcus Coleman, but the ex-host of AFC East Bros, the legendary uh podcast about the AFCs, Kyle Smith. What's up, man? Legendary. You're either <laughs> far too kind or you're just crazy. I don't know. I'm drunk already. It's three o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon. <laughs> no, okay. And you're working night shifts, so you just woke up. So yeah. A little bit dazed and confused. Um, but the, before we get into the show, just the, the normal housekeeping, uh, at Joe RB31 on Twitter, where I just put up 125 plays of Donald. I got 25 or so more to go. Um, next photo up, we have Jamal Adams, Leonard Williams, uh, Avery Williamson, or Rob Anderson with the next review. Uh, leave reviews if you can. I always talk about it. I don't want to get into a whole thing, but it means a lot more than people know um, that it does. It puts us up in the kind of the search of Jets podcasts, and then we get searched more. We get more um, views and uh, listens, and then we get more uh, chance for advertising or whatever you have, whatever you have to do. But POJ space film space room on iTunes, YouTube, just like a look up turn on the jets. Like I said, last week I did start a Patreon last week. Um, so I'm not going to get into that as well, but if you know what Patreon is, you know what it is. And there will be a link in the uh, YouTube underneath the video and you can click on that. And if you can donate, donate where we can, it'll help us get better mics, better backgrounds, uh, maybe do more shows a week, etc. cetera. Um, but this, this show, we're going to be doing a top 25 Jets players, which is always a fun thing. I, we've been doing it for, I've been doing it for about three, four years now. I always have a lot of fun ranking the Jets players. You always get a lot of feedback. And I remember I got crapped on for saying Kelvin Beach and where it was, where he was. And Kelvin Beach was actually decent. Or Josh McCown was where he was. And he's actually pretty decent. We've had some fun conversations. Kyle Smith has done, I think, at least one, at least one or two with us, right? Definitely one. Definitely one for sure. It was yeah. you and Glenn. I don't know if I did another one. I might have done two with you, though. Yeah. Might have been me and you just once, but I definitely remember the three of us one time. That's the one I got crapped on for Kelvin Beecham. <laughs> Correct. And then he actually went up my, yeah, I, got, I, I remember. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about top 25. So we're going to go from 25 to one. And then we're going to, um, well, actually before that, sorry, before that, we're going to do like a little off-season recap with Kyle. I'm not going to spend an hour on it, but we're going to kind of do like a lightning round of, of his thoughts. Maybe we'll get in, we'll, we'll delve into a topic or two. Um, and then after we do all of that, we're going to have Scott Mason on, you know, to, to end the show. Um, and we'll be talking about the Joe Douglas hire, how it happened, the, the, the press conference. The press com- conference is happening while we're recording, so I'm not going to be able to watch it. So we'll get some notes and stuff on that. So uh, it's going to be an absolutely jam-packed show um, the next hour or two. But, Kyle, is there anything else you want to, uh, to say to the people who have maybe – because I know people have probably – or probably listening who have listened to your, your podcast. Where, where the hell have you been, man? Um, away. <laughs> I've been – and listen, I've been following football and stuff, but I just mm-hmm. – I don't do a show anymore, and there, there are several reasons for that and stuff. But, you know, listen, I'm still watching film, not grinding nearly as hard as you are, but I do a little grind in my spare time and stuff. And I really try to, at least now, and you're definitely one of the people that helped influence me in this way, 
um, you know, whenever I try to judge my football opinions and, and make up my mind on things, I'm not guided by stupid media narratives, what you watch mm-hmm. on NFL Network. I really try to let the film judge me and stuff. So I try not to have strong opinions on players. I guarantee there's going to be some players that you might reference in your top 25 if you do. I'm not going to have a strong opinion on because I haven't watched a lot of them yet. So, so I, I grind film, but not nearly as much as you. So. Yeah, we were just talking about it. Like the weeks that my me and my fiance work different hours. There's like there's it's literally a it's it's a it's not even a part time job. There's some weeks where it's full time job where it's forty hours a week where you see me sure. posting at like four o'clock in the morning. And I'm like nobody's even seeing this crap. But I just gotta get I just gotta get it out at this point. So there's so much to do. And here's the thing um, too. Like think about it like this. There are sometimes when you work a job, but you're just kind of there and you're not really putting a lot of effort into it. No, when mm-hmm. you grind, it's not just the hours. Like you're putting a hell of a lot of effort into it. Like you're reading the hard stuff, the complicated stuff, and you're applying that. Now, of course it's fun to you and stuff, but it's not like easy. Whereas like, you know, I used to work security jobs and stuff. And sometimes like, <laughs> so did I you might be working like night or whatever, but it's, you're just sitting around and like mm-hmm. doing nothing. So staying on your phone for three hours, watching Netflix, watching a movie. Yeah. Yep. So it's not just about the hours. Like you, you definitely put in the work and anybody watching, man, like I, I know you benefit from Joe. You just said you started a Patreon. That's news to me. Listen, go over and donate. That'll help Joe a lot. So anyway. yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I said, and, and for the most part with that Patreon, I'm, I'm going to try to do things like uh, get Marcus off of his, like you see Kyle he has a nice little microphone. Marcus has like his, his, only his headphones in. Sometimes it gets a little scratchy so we can help him out instead of having a freaking, like, like, he, was a, he was a pro athlete. Too. I know what the hell. <laughs> so, and then behind me, I got like a big yoga mat. That's like, that's like holding. I showed, I've showed it before. I really don't even care. It's blocking the light. Like maybe I can get like a nice little setup, block that maybe a TOJ banner behind me. I don't know. We, we'll try to upgrade rocking it. rocking so. chair too, man. The rock, I've got a lot of compliments on the rocking chair. The rocking chair will not go. It's just not happening. I actually got a picture of me in the rocking chair in, in like a Game of Thrones type setting now. So the rocking chair stays. I don't care what anybody really? says. That's what the, I, I seen. I, I never watched Game of Thrones ever, but I saw the image and I've seen other people use that image and stuff, but I didn't notice that that was the rocking chair that was used. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a part of it. I believe at least I, uh, Greg from TOJ did that, but, uh, That's funny. Yeah, it's the it's the Iron Throne and the King of the Seven uh, Kingdoms right there. So he made that. I was like, that has to be my pro fox. I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. If actually, if you were, I'm not gonna. It's, and it's probably nerdy. I really don't care. But if you were to call me right now, my ringer's on. It's Game of Thrones uh, intro. <laughs> That's my ringer. So, um, but all right, let's get into it because, like I said, this is gonna be a jam packed show. It's gonna be a little bit longer than it usually is, even though we do in the season. Sometimes we can go anywhere from 45 minutes to three hours. It's just that kind of show. It depends on what the topic is. Um, but like I said, Kyle has been missing for about three and a half years. So, and he is one of the most, and I'll, and I'll say this, um, me and Kyle are friends outside of podcast, but I'm not going to get all sappy, but Kyle is one of the smarter Jets fans out there for sure. Uh, like I said, he's not, he doesn't just go on pro football focus and recite their numbers like many do. Uh, he's not one of these people on Twitter who just looks at stats or anything like that. He actually has a good knowledge of the game. Uh, so that's why I want to have him on. And uh, like I said, we, we do get along well together. Like I just saw something today that somebody said D'Angelo, D'Angelo Williams, James Conner, and Le'Veon Bell aren't that different of running backs. And I just like stupid stuff like that is, is why I don't like it. And another funny thing is too, I don't know if you watched the Greg Dortch thing. Um, no, yeah, that's like one of the one, I think I missed like one or two shows recently. Or, well, actually Blake. Yeah. Okay. So Blake Clashman too. I heard, and I heard this a lot I, after the, they, they draft him. Oh, he, he's never missed a tackle. I watched his first game. He had like three missed tackles. I was like, this is why I don't rely on anybody at all. That's and same, terrible. Same thing with – and I know I actually like Cashman. And then another thing with Greg Dortch, I heard about how, how shifty he is and how fast he is and um, how hard he works. And 
you're going to see that film, Kyle, and you're going to be frustrated with how, with how the lack of effort he shows. I put it up at Eric Turner. You know, Eric Turner was like, damn, dude. He's like, he's like, all, he's like, all these people are talking him up so much. Like, what, what the hell is this I'm seeing? I'm like, yeah, dude, this is why I literally. There's a reason he went undrafted. Anybody. There's a reason he went undrafted. Oh, there's a reason. Other he than just size. Very little effort. Very little effort. Um, That's terrible. So let's go into the offseason roundup. Like I said, um, there's not necessarily a lightning round where you're giving me three words on stuff, but um, I'm going to try to work through it at least relatively quickly. Uh, so the first thing, and these are not in order, but the first thing that did happen in the offseason, the firing of Bulls, obviously you expected it, but I guess your uh, quick thoughts on the firing, his, his tenure here, et cetera. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I mean, I've been calling this for, for years. I mean, yeah. I don't know too many people other than me that were really calling for his firing that early. I mean, mm-hmm. we want to talk about complete mismanagement of players. I mean, shoot, just we were just talking about this a couple minutes ago before we got on the air. Just think about how he put some players out of position like Tremaine Johnson, long corner, doesn't have, you know, recovery speed is not his best thing mm-hmm. in the world. You want to utilize his length to press and stuff. And he's playing guys that far off the line of scrimmage and stuff. I mean, uh, he just a real tendency to put players out of place. People made a big deal at him playing Sheldon as a stand-up outside three, four uh, edge rusher a couple years back, which I get it. It was a crowded defensive line spot, but Sheldon was just as bad as good as any of those guys should have been playing on the interior. Um, you know, game management. What I couldn't, I asked this question to Jets fans all the time. What was the single thing that Todd Bowles ever did well? And I can't think of one. There are some coaches who, you know, might not be the best scheme wise, but they're good game managers or they're good at managing a roster yeah you know player discipline I mean none of it none of it was good so honestly this was too long you know he should not and, and I know you were super pissed about this Joe he shouldn't have been in charge of Donald's rookie season you want to talk about starting a, a young quarterback off on the right foot Todd Bowles was certainly not the man to do that he should have been fired before that but they kept him, but thankfully they finally fired him. So I'm obviously very happy about that, and I know that you are as well. Yeah. I mean, other things, or do we want to talk more about bulls? No, no, we're not going to. We're not going to. People are going to click off. If we start talking about a lot of bulls. I'm just going to run through topics. I'll just keep firing them at you. But even with bulls, like the first year when he was singling up DeAndre Hopkins, who was cooking people, or singling up Watt, or uh, you know having Revis against Watkins when he was lighting him up, or punting, you know when you're down two scores with two minutes left in the game, like he's just, he was just an idiot. Um, but moving Travis, on from Calvin him, prior play man coverage on Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Or even in. last year, D- Dow Roberts as, as a safety, like why he's just, and you had Terrence oh Brooks, who I thought was actually a much better backup safety than, than mm-hmm. a guy in Roberts. But moving on from that, uh, the Gase hire, the Greg Williams hire, anybody else on the staff who impressed you? I'm not sure if you're, uh, I know like, there's like Jim Bob Cooter. There's some other guys on, on the staff who some people like. Um, but what are your overall thoughts on Gase and Williams? I know you, you, you dabbled a little bit with Gase because you were still doing the show, um, the AFC East Bros show when he was with Miami, I believe, at least, or maybe towards the, the, the yeah, beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Definitely his first year. Yeah, so what are your thoughts on those two guys or any, anybody else from the staff? Yeah, so I watched this offense and um, all of the Dolphins games very closely. Just that's the last time you'll hear that, Bill. I promise. No, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, so yeah, his, the 2016 season, Gase's first season in Miami. I watched his uh, his games pretty extensively, and I, I really did like his offense a lot. Um, and you want to talk about the growth of Ryan Tannehill? I mean, I based on that season alone, like I really started to become kind of like a I wouldn't say a Tannehill fan, but I really kind of liked him, and he he really grew in strides. Don't just look at the numbers and stuff. Um, because those definitely do matter, but Tannehill really grew leaps and bounds that season. I think Adam Gase had a large part to do with that. And even just like, you know, 
he got some of the best seasons out of JHI and JHI went elsewhere and never did really as much. Uh, and I don't think that he ever had super a lot to work with. I think Jarvis Landry is a very overrated receiver. And I think it was smart for Gase to get him out of town, especially at the value that he did. Um, I liked Gase's offense for sure. And I was very optimistic. You know, I, I remember we, we were doing like awards or something on my show one year. And I was thinking like, you know, Adam Gase, he should be in conversation for coach of the year because he took a, you know, was it six and 10 or a five and eleven Miami Dolphins team, and then brought them to ten and six. They made the playoffs that year with not a very good roster and a quarterback who did get injured too. He that had Matt year. Moore at the end, right? Yeah, he had Matt Moore at the end, and you know he got Matt Moore to play some of the. Uh, I guess you could say some of the best ball of, of his career, unless you want to count those that one year in Carolina where, like you know, he ended up getting franchise tagged the next season. But I think you have to credit Adam Gase a lot for that. I think I do think he's an innovative offensive mind. Although I will say, like, you know, some of the things like, you know, the way he rubs people the wrong way and um, it, it, it is a bit concerning, especially with the way things um, ended in Miami. And he did kind of look like a defeated man. If you look at like some of those, like his face on the sideline those last couple of weeks. So some of that is concerning. I, I guess I wanted other guys over him, but I'm pro- I probably was not as low on it as some other Jets fans. I remember... You know, some of the guys over at TOJ, for example, when they were talking about Adam Gase, you know, potentially having a shot at this Jets job, they're like, oh, my God, that's the worst possible thing. That's the worst possible thing. And my mind wasn't really there, but I'm not going to act like I was happy with the hire either, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I agree with you. Um, a lot of what I was negative about Gase was about the stuff you talked about with him rubbing the guys in the wrong way, apparently getting in Stephen Ross's face, face the uh, Miami Dolphins owner and things like that. So that was concerning. And I watched Dolphins games, but I didn't watch them like I watched Jets games. And once I watched his offense, I'm like, listen, I could live with the crazy man if he's going to win games. And from what I saw of his offense, especially last even just last year where Tannehill didn't have a good year, you're, he brought a Miami team who was – and I know they, they choked at the end of the season, but that was a Miami team who was supposed to go like 4-12, and 12, and he brought them to 7-9, and nine, which is impressive. And there was plenty of times where, um, you know, Tannehill would just miss a wide-open guy or he was playing with, you know, Matt Moore as his quarterback or Brock Osweiler or Jake Cutler where there was guys running open and the quarterback just was, wasn't good enough to get the ball there or good enough to diagnose the defense. So, um, yeah. from, from an Listen, anybody standpoint, who's like watching this show who hasn't watched Joe's breakdowns of Adam Gase's offense – you really need to go back and watch that. That's really important if you want to kind of see what might happen with the Jets. And you will yeah. see that. It, the film is littered. Tannehill was so bad last year. That's why, like, when I kind of said I was a, a kind of a fan of him in 2016, about saying that because he was so bad last year, and it went beyond injuries. I mean, of course, injuries, I think, played some kind of a factor with probably some of the missed throws and stuff, but just the amount of times he missed – the mm-hmm. open guy, you had a guy wide open. It was, it was pretty alarming. Yeah, I put up like 60 players, and I'm going to say like 20 of those players were guys just running wide open. Um, and I'm not talking wide open like, like, you know, we say like a yard or two is wide open, which it is in the NFL. I'm talking about wide open like 10 yards around them where Tannehill would just not hit the guy, not see him. And then there was multiple times where, listen, like I think I know what I'm talking about for the most part, but I know Marcus Coleman knows more than me. And there was times where we'd, we'd rewind to play and have to watch it multiple times, and we were both like, I don't even know what call we'd have it at, you know, as a defense to defend this play. Like, there's no call to defend this. Like, it's just, you know, so it's really, really impressive. Um, I'll deal with the craziness, but in terms of, like, what he's going to do for Donald, what he's going to do for the offense, uh, especially some of the weapons he has, I think this is, can definitely be not, you know, it's not going to be the Kansas City Chiefs or the Rams or anything like that, but I definitely think this is going to be 
um, an offense that has a chance to at least be top 15, I, I think, uh, relatively easily, easily if, they, if they live up to their expectations. So uh, moving on to the defense, so Greg Williams, what, what do you think about that hire as well? I think Greg is, is very solid. I mean, it's hard to really look at Greg Williams as a defensive coordinator and ever see him have a really, really bad defense. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always had a very solid defense. His defenses are always very good at causing turnovers. He does a lot of, you know, like you know, a lot of uh, confused pressures and things like that. A lot of, of diverse set of looks and stuff, obviously, which you pointed out. And I think that's something really that the Jets have been lacking for a long time now. This team has not caused a lot of turnovers since – those AFC championship years and probably the first year really, because even in 2010, although that defense was super good at stopping the run, I'm talking about the jets mm-hmm. um, and, and limiting, you know, big plays of the other team, they never really forced a lot of turnovers. And I think to really have a team that's, you know, good every year, you, you need to force turnovers. You know, the Patriots, Every year, their defense are known for giving up, you know, a decent amount of yards and stuff. But they're solid at, you know, tightening up in the red zone and causing turnovers. Turnovers definitely win ball games, and especially when you have an offense, which, for the Jets, they might actually have a good offense this year. You want to get them more shots at, at, at getting the ball this year, and I think that Greg Williams with his defense will cause more turnovers and stuff. And I don't think that you're going to be seeing um, players really misuse the way that Todd Bowles did. Although there are some people out in Brownsland that you know are, are recently complaining about Greg Williams misusing Miles Garrett, and only there's that that report that Greg Williams said to Miles Garrett, "You only use two moves and don't use any more." And the Miles Garrett kind of complained and said, "Like, hey, like you know, I felt like I was limited and I have a bigger skill set than this." So, did you hear about that? Yeah, but didn't. I don't know. I, don't, I, I just saw a little headline. So yeah, I'd have to look more into that because Miles didn't Miles Garrett have like 14 sacks or something like that too. So yeah, he, he had pretty good numbers as far as I saw. And I'm, I'm not gonna act like I watched a lot of Miles Garrett tape, but I mean, yeah, but it is what it's like you said. He's always had solid defenses. Um, I feel much more comfortable with him than a guy like Casey Rogers, even though we knew Casey Rogers more of like a puppet, just like Dowell Loggins will be to Gase. Um, but Williams said solid defenses. There's, there are some complaints where I think he, he doesn't disguise his defenses enough, whether it be like cover three, cover two. You can tell if it's Tampa, if that linebacker is sitting a little bit farther back from the other intermediate zone defenders, like the other linebackers and the hook seams, whatever it may be. Um, but I still think it's going to be a solid defense, especially what he has to work with. And um, working with a guy like Tremaine Johnson, again, is I think it's a very, very good thing because Tremaine Johnson, uh, like you were saying, where he's a longer guy, he's not a super athletic guy. He's also a smart player. And he runs a lot of traps, and you have to read two to one, yes. and you have to read different things. And I think that's going to help Tremaine Johnson get some more interceptions and look a little bit better than he did last year. Uh, Jamal Adams and Greg Williams, their there's, there's personalities, I think, are going to fit well together. Super aggressive guys, and you've already heard Leonard Williams talk about uh, Greg Williams, where it really amps him up. So it's it's you know he's not he's not um, like Vic Vangio. I don't think he's on like that that level of uh, defensive coordinator. But I do think that he is still you know uh, pretty top top notch. That's some blank. Or Wade Phillips is another really good defensive coordinator. Even though the Rams last year, for what they were, I don't think they were actually their defense was not that good, especially later in the season. Um, uh, not as good as you expected them to be, for sure. Yeah, not not with that talent. But okay, moving on to the defense. Um, we're just gonna go through like a couple different signings, then we'll hit on the draft a little bit, and then we'll just talk about Joe Douglas really, really quickly before we get to the top twenty-five um, defense. Uh, one of the big signings, uh, C.J. Mosley. What are your thoughts on the signing? They spent too much money. Should they have addressed you know other positions, et cetera? I mean, when I saw the contract, I was kind of like, Ugh. I mean, I mean, I know he's a good player based on whatever film I have seen of him, but I was like, that is a lot of money to be giving to an off-ball linebacker. We just gave some, you know, pretty decent money to Avery Williams in the, pri- the previous season, and we have a lot of other needs 
So I wasn't super happy about it, but I will say watching your film breakdown of Mosley, I, I really started to like the player a lot more than I did. That dude does not miss tackles, and you cannot block him. He is so slippery. He gets off stuff. It, I mean, like, he's not the powerhouse who's just going to, like, blow a guy up in the A-gap or whatever like Avery Williamson, but the dude is just ultra slippery. He finds a way to dodge the offensive lineman, mm-hmm. get around, and once he wraps the running back up, he's not going to miss. Although, you know, when you did your Le'Veon Bell frame, film breakdown, we could see Le'Veon, you know, break, oh, you know, forcing a couple of <laughs> tackles on him. Hold on. Let me uh, – I, I got – I'm going to pull that one up. Yeah, so – and the thing – the thing um, that – it was funny too, and this is, this is where I, I hear about – you know, other podcasts and these guys know what they're talking about and they're so, they're so great at what they do. And I heard a pot and I'm, I don't want to call them out. It's a bigger podcast and like a bigger, bigger, I'm not talking about any Jets podcast. I'm, I'm talking about like national level podcast and they're talking about the Jets duo and they're saying that Avery Williamson's more of the cover guy and the faster guy than CJ Mosley, who's more of the plotting linebacker. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? And I heard a lot of Jets fans too, which if you watch my film, break and watch any film, people are saying, Oh, he's slow and he's not that great in coverage. I'm like, what are you watching? Like I'm sure plenty of examples. And you watch the you watch the film review. Um, he's pretty good in coverage. Now he's not yes. Luke Keekley in coverage, but he's smart and he and he moves well. So I thought that was really really dumb. Yeah, I think his biggest strength in coverage is just his ability to understand route combinations, which, yeah, oh, yeah, which is something sure. Darren Lee had basically zero in. You know, Darren Lee had some athleticism, you know, but it's not. You know, just because a guy can run a fast forty yard dash does not mean that he can cover. And if you don't know what's going on behind you, if you can't see that, you know, this is a mesh concept or a, a drive concept and you can expect another a dig behind, and if you're not ready for that, you're not going to be in position. It doesn't matter how fast you are. Yeah, that's uh, This is teammate on teammate crime right here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Bell, there, and there was a couple other times too. Like when I was doing the C.J. Mosley interview, I showed him abusing uh, Clutchio Assembly a lot too, uh, who Assembly really, really yes. needs to clean up oh on. Oh my gosh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, he needs to clean up on some of his technique, that's for sure. I'm going to be doing that review. Um, after this, I'm going to be doing, I think actually it's Clutchy and then Ty Montgomery, then Poole, and I'll get into, uh, into Sam Darnold. But yeah, he needs to clean up his technique. So moving on from him, uh, what do you think about the, the Anthony Barr situation, the, the non-signing of Anthony Barr? Oh, I'm super relieved. Good. Super, super relieved. Yep. I, I hated that when I saw that. I mean, like, listen, there's a part of you when you're reading this news, you're like, oh, all right, well, he's like, he's been a pretty productive player in the league, and I know he's made X amount of Pro Bowls, but, like, I never really thought he was that good. Mm-hmm. And especially, like, and tell this to Scott when he comes on. What the hell was Scott thinking wanted to put him in here to be an edge rusher when he hasn't done that the past four or five years? Yeah. Like, that's just that's just so stupid. You're going to pay a guy $14, $15 million to do something that they don't really do consistently. And even mm-hmm. when they do do, they're not that good. So I was super relieved. Who knows if that would have actually been the plan and stuff. But damn. Um, yeah, that we signed him. And then I was like, okay, like, you know, cool. Like, you know, I, I know about him. I know he's a solid player. But I didn't, like, you know, like I said, break down his film. I watched. And then when the Jets were still, you know, apparently, you know, uh, I guess in contract talks or he was on the team. I, I texted Scott. And I'm like, dude, I am not high on this guy. Like I, and I, I put up the screenshot of me saying that even when I thought he was in the jets. Um, I don't think he deserves the money that, that he got. I don't think he's really that good of a player. Um, and just going back to the Moses thing. So you mentioned the money. I know the money's too high, but as you know, with every, every guy who's top five, 10 at their position, they're going to get the next biggest contract. Yeah. Now, would that have been 14, $15 million, uh, you know, to be the highest guy at his position? Yes. But he wanted, he, he wanted to stay with the Ravens. So another $2 million a year. Um, I don't really think it's too huge of a deal. And the jets were in a situation where there's not a lot of people who really want to come here. So you need to overpay to get some guys here. So it made it a more attractive destination. So I wasn't, you know, crazy, 
uh, mad about the money. People are like, oh, well, they should have addressed outside linebacker. Yeah, address outside linebacker and, and gave a guy like Zadarius Smith $15 million. Or, or what's the guy named for the, for the uh, Redskins? Preston, Preston Smith, who um, has been injured, and he got a ton of money. So I'm fine. They got one of the best Not players. Not a bad player, though, but yeah, for yeah, sure. Got, he's, a, he's, a top, he's a top three to five inside linebacker, I, I would say right now. You have, you have Keekly, you have Wagner, you have Van Der Esch, you have probably uh, – Leonard from the Colts and him. That's that's I would say that's the top five. For yeah, certainly you can make the argument that he's an elite player. Listen, elite players very rarely hit free agency. Like in mm-hmm. Dominican Sue, when he I don't know what kind of clause he had in his contract a couple of years ago when he initially signed with the Dolphins, but a player like that in normal circumstances, like if they were to franchise Sue, the Lions I'm talking about, they would have he would have like a twenty six million dollar cap hit, and nobody's gonna pay twenty six million dollar for a cap hit for a defensive lineman. They did not want to get rid of Sue. Rare circumstance, elite player hit free agency. It very rarely happens. Same thing with Le'Veon Bell. They're not supposed to hit free agency, so when they do, mm-hmm. I, I don't mind signing an elite player who you know can kind of be a game changer, which is what he does. So I also I, – my thing is, prior to me really watching your film breakdown of Mosley, I didn't really think that he was an elite inside linebacker. I thought he was really good. But now I'm of the opinion, like, yeah, he's definitely top five. I, I can't see five guys who are better than him. So I'm okay with it, especially given the fact that Darnold is on his rookie deal. Like, if you're not going to spend that money now, when are you going to spend it? You know? That, so, and like I said, you have, to, you have to spend money to, to bring other guys in because you see guys that deny the Jets all the time. Like, oh, they were close on this guy. And that might be a little bit of McCagnan. But at the same time, there wasn't a ton of guys here. Like, before the season, you know, going let's – say, let's say they didn't sign anybody – they had what maybe they had one Pro Bowl type player, maybe two, uh, with with just with just Adams and just um, a guy in Leonard Williams. But he's he's kind of on that borderline. So they only had like one like true like Pro Bowl All Pro level player. But now you added multiple through free agency. So uh, moving on through some of the free agency moves, uh, re-signing Henry Anderson, he got like eight nine million dollars a year, whatever it was. What are your thoughts on that one? I like Henry Anderson. I, I I've actually always kind of been a fan of Henry Anderson when like. Whenever I was like watching his college tape back in what was it twenty four I can't remember if he was drafted in twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen. I mean he he always won. Like he was he was never he's not like when you watch him, he's not blowing guys up. He doesn't dominate people, but he gets by people. He stands his ground, he holds his gap, he's a solid player, he wins. Um so like he's a player I'd like to have on my roster, and I don't think that they gave him a, a big contract. When you compare what he got in comparison to a lot of these other deals that went around, I mean, it, it's it's night and day. Um, was it? And especially with, given the fact, like we didn't know we were going to draft Quinn and Williams, so we mm-hmm. we did need an extra defensive lineman. So like, I, I was certainly cool with it. I mean, again, I didn't love the signing, but I like the player, so totally cool with it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, he's a, and he's a good player too. And for and by the way, you can slide them all up and down the line too. That and a big thing with like you know I said, if you haven't watched a Greg Williams review, you should go back and watch. Especially like these film reviews, they ne- never expire. You listen to a show, it's all storylines. They expire after a while because people get bored yes. of talking to them. You could always watch Greg uh, Greg Williams' defense or Adam Gase or CJ Mosley or Le'Veon Bell. They last forever. You know, at least until the season. Um, and a lot of his defense is gap exchanging, stunting. So in a typical you know, uh, even in a three, four, four, three, or let's just say, let's just say it's a, a typical four, three. I don't necessarily think he's the best, you know, uh, zero or one or even three, but when you have a defense that there's a lot of, uh, you know, quote air, uh, long legging that we, that we call it, where you're basically exchanging multiple gaps and you're kind of trying to pull guards into centers or guards into tackles, whatever it may be with a lot of, um, TT stunts, whatever ET stunts. Um, he's very good in that role of very good yes. athleticism. So I, th- I think that's why they, they resigned him with this, with his defense in mind. Um, next move, 
Yeah, next move, uh, trading Darren Lee. Thoughts on that? People were saying, like, and it's funny, too, because I, I, this is another one I saw people, oh, well, if Lee was on the Jets, he'd still be their best coverage linebacker. Uh, listen, I think because of his athleticism, I think he was a decent man defender because, man, you don't have to think a lot. When you ask him to play zone, he was lost with guys running around him, coming in and out of his zones, passing zones off. He was still a terrible zone defender. Uh, missed tackles. He get folded by offensive linemen. They got a sixth-round pick. Would I have liked them to get a fifth? Yeah. Um, but at the same time with Cashin, that, that, I think Cashin's going to be in that lead role that he would have been in this year. Um, now, could he, be, can, could he have been a, like a chess piece, maybe type of guy to blitz from, from all different places? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, but you kind of have to force one to the field, too. I'm, I'm fine with a sixth-round pick. And he's also a guy who caused some not, – I'm not going to say necessarily locker room problems, a little bit of a head case, too. So I'm fine with getting rid of him. You know, you know goodbye. Yeah, I mean, like, you don't know. Like, he just got suspended for four games. He has another infraction. He could be potentially done for the season. Get something for him now while you can because, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's gone next year, and he's not going to play a lot this year with the other guys because Williamson and, and Mosley are night and day better than him. You know, so uh, sure. I, I was one of Darren Lee's biggest detractors. I, I like Darren Lee in the draft, although I had reservations about him, but he just never developed. And just – um, pretty much immediately, just watching his antics on Twitter and stuff, like it. I'm not. I know this is not the time to really get in. It was some weird stuff, man. All the he was weird. All the deleted tweets and stuff. Um, it, it was it was really strange. Um, so <laughs> not exactly a, a, an uh, exemplar model citizen. You know, I'm like not. It, saying, I'm not saying he's a bad dude. Don't get me wrong. He could but, be a great dude, but like here, talking about zone awareness, like he's he literally avoids a defender. I mean, an offensive player in his zone because he's trying to follow Tannehill. He gets a completion right behind him. Like, what is this? Like that? He literally is. It's not like oh, he slipped behind me. He's avoiding him. It's like oh man. So his was, film is littered with this type of stuff. <laughs> yep. Um, moving on. Um, overall thoughts on, I guess, on the, on the defense, the, the needs, some things you want to see addressed or um, areas of, I guess, strengths or weaknesses, just kind of wrapping up the overall thoughts of the defense before we move into offense. What do I want to see them do going forward? Like, yeah, as- overall, overall thoughts uh, Yeah, going forward. What do you want to see them address or where do you feel really strong at, you know, et cetera. We'll get into the draft too, so you don't have to mention Quentin Williams, even though that I kind mean- of would be in your answer, but. <laughs> They're they're very strong on the D line. Uh, we'll, we will talk about Q. Um, they're very strong at linebacker now, off ball linebacker, uh, edge rusher. They're not strong there, although they're definitely better than they were a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very strong at safety, although May and his injuries, yeah. And corner, they're certainly not strong in now. In terms of addressing stuff, I've been seeing you and Scott. I, I was really shocked when I heard when I saw you tweet this. You Come at me, Kyle. <laughs> bring back Morris Claiborne. Why, Joe? You guys are criticizing him every week. Okay. Peeking, and- in the, peeking at the quarterback and stuff. He didn't look athletic last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a history of injury problems. He's getting close to 30, man. You know how you know corners, when they hit 30, they decline like a mother, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, and, and the reason I want Claiborne back, and I've said this before, like when we're talking about Buster Screen versus Perry Nickerson, I think there's a big difference between a bad starter and, and a backup. You know, I, I, think, I think that Morris Claiborne is, is, a, is a bad starter. He was a bad starter last year who flashed the ability to be a decent starter, number two. Um, but I think a, a, a decent to bad number two is a lot better than what Roberts would be in a full-time role or Derek Jones. So I think if you can get a guy for two, three million dollars instead of, you know, if a guy like Tremaine Johnson goes down or Poole or even if it is Roberts, who's behind those guys? So even if he ends up being, you know, the fourth guy or him and Roberts kind of switch depending on who they're playing, the, 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 the play call, whatever it may be, 
Um, it's better having one of those guys at four than having Derek Jones or, you know, Jeremy Clark. So if it's going to cost you little, little to no money, I, I think it's a smart move for them to do because, you know, I wasn't one of those guys and there were some people, I'm not going to call them out. But if you remember who said that he was a top 10 press corner a couple of years ago, there was somebody who said that, which I did not agree with, but I still think he could be a decent number two. So that's, that's, that's why I like to sign him back. Yeah, and I hear you in terms of bringing him in and playing him over those other types of guys and stuff. I guess it would just depend on really what the numbers is, and it doesn't look like there's a big market for him. So I guess I could see that happening, but um, yeah, I don't really want to see that player playing, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, me, me and Marcus, shred- that had to be one of the most guys we shredded the, the most, me and Marcus last year. I think it was. I think it was the we most. We shredded him, yeah. Um Moving to offense. Every week, man. Every week. Yeah. He he has bad technique. And like, like we've talked about before, I'm, 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 I'm really, really comfortable with corners. Uh, that's one of my favorite positions to evaluate. And, uh, man, his, his technique was, <laughs> was really, really off sometimes. But, Let me um, try to do a Marcus impression right now. Man, look at this film. <laughs> staring at the quarterback again <laughs> yeah well yeah the southern accent yeah he's actually he's actually he has one more game left he lost last week by like one point on like a bullcrap call he actually lost two weeks in a row because of really bad calls i'm not just saying to my co-host he's in a win in your end game uh on saturday i think it's like set six or eight o'clock at night so if you want to look up the uh i think i think it's i no, it's not iowa, iowa. iowa Bar- it, barnstormers no 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 it's not it's not them anymore it's the uh oh. tuscan tuscan sugar skulls is where he's at now i believe it's tuscan but it's the sugar Skulls. so I'm, I'm gonna try to watch that game that'd be pretty cool if he makes it into the playoffs uh moving on to the offense uh the biggest signing bell what would you what do you think about that overpaying him not overpaying him is he a locker room problem the hint the answer is no uh but <laughs> what, are, what are your thoughts i love the signing because i always love the player it i mean tell me five players in the nfl that are more fun to watch than Le'Veon bell you can't do it more finally Henry Anderson <laughs> for that matter um you know Ryan Fitzpatrick he's really yeah do you see that no look pass such a gamer man oh the no look passes yeah man. yeah the no look pass keep getting there. contracts and stuff and keep winning over new fan bases like as if they didn't see this this is his third trip around the AFC East oh my god I mean but just Bell man like the He's a truly, truly elite player, and I think you said like if he's not the best running back in the league, then it's Saquon Barkley. Um, and and part of the reason someone might be saying that is because just the simple fact that Barkley's younger and that Bell didn't play last year. But I mean, this guy was pretty much the undisputed best running back in the league for however long, and he he does it all, man. He pass protects. Uh, he's a smart player. He can run gap. He can run zone. He's a damn good receiving threat out of the backfield. I remember you saying this a while back. I think I think it might have been one of your off-season shows or something like that. I think you might have said something like, "Was it, it might have even been last year or something like that, that Le'Veon Bell would be a better route runner than any Jets receiver. And I don't know that that's exactly true or whatever. Uh, it's, but, it, it might be close. I, I, th- I think Jamison Crowder is probably the best route yeah. runner. Um, Rob Anderson actually is impressed me watching his film again, but he would easily be three. I, I'm taking him over a on route running. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he offers I, I, this I, too, I Kyle, which you're watching on this. Or he's watching on the screen. That's what I was saying. Pa- pass blocking, yeah, and that that cannot be. That's mostly talk, FYI. Sorry. When you talk about like a quarterback having an extra little split second to pass or something like that in a mm-hmm. league that it's all about you know millimeters and split seconds and stuff, every little thing matters. And when you have a running back like Crowell who couldn't pass block with shit Mm-mm. versus a guy like this who's an elite pass blocking back, that not only makes the quarterback more comfortable on any given play, like let's say like just the quarterback knowing, hey, this guy can pass protect, 
that gives a quarterback a little bit uh, extra confidence to keep his eyes downfield versus, you know, like if, if he thinks like, oh, my guy's going to blow this block. And then there are sometimes actually when the block really does matter and gives the quarterback an extra split second to throw the ball, that could be the difference between a touchdown and a sack or a batted ball or something like that. So that is such an underrated aspect of running back play. And that's just an, that, I mean, it's just an extra little benefit that you get from Le'Veon. Yeah, it was funny too. I heard somebody saying the other day that, uh, well, you know, I'm not sure how well he's going to work out in, uh, in New York because they're more zone running team. A lot of the plays I put up with him are zone runs. Like zone, zone is a lot of patience and he has patience. So what, I don't know how that makes sense. It's all about patience and reading, uh, you know, the leverage of the defenders. Yeah. yeah. Like, you mm-hmm. know, if, if it, depending on did, did the tackle seal off the defensive end, if he did, I'm going to, you know, bounce it. If he, you know, he didn't seal him, but he washed him out, I'm going to bang it. And Le'Veon is such a smart player and he's good at reading. I mean, vision is probably my opinion. And this is just me spitballing off the top of my head. The number one attribute for a running back is vision. There I would plenty, agree. Plenty of smart guys, plenty of powerful guys that never made it in the league. Well, it's not just about that. It's about you being able to read your blocks, read the leverage of the defenders, you picking your, your, your holes that you're going to run through. And Le'Veon is super smart with that. So he doesn't yeah. need – he's a 4'6 guy, but that doesn't matter. It's about consistently gaining yards in every single play. And, yes, when it comes to zone, it's all about, you know, being patient and, and shooting through the hole. His game is all based on patience, man. You know, Brett Coleman mm-hmm. made the famous uh, Le'Veon Bell video, The Art of Patience or whatever, and he compared Le'Veon Bell to Muhammad Ali, saying that you know, Muhammad Ali was a counterpuncher, man. He waited for the right opportunity. He wasn't the most powerful dude in the world. He waited for you to make your mistake, and then he capitalized on your mistake. And that's exactly what Le'Veon's going to do in this offense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and he offers. There's really, there's literally nothing he can't do. Is, is he going to break 80 yard runs all the time? Um, no. But at the same time, when you, when the pass protection, the ability to run literally anything from pin and pulls to to pin and folds to counters to traps to zone, any type of zone, he could, he could literally do anything. Uh, yes. Giving your quarterback an extra second to throw the ball. Uh, Darnold jumping, uh, dumping it off on a check down that should have went for two, three yards going for 25 because he breaks three, four tackles and has great vision. Um, it's going to be fantastic for, for the team. And uh, I'm talking about, like I said, I, you know, I, and honestly, the year off, I think, is going to help his body recover um, a lot. I think it's maybe the first game or two. He looks a little bit rusty as they kind of get into the feel of things. But uh, he'll take off. That year helped him. I don't think he's a big locker room problem like everybody said he was. He wanted a contract. They weren't going to give him a contract. He didn't. They were running him into the ground. They were planning to run him into the ground in 2018. And he didn't want that. He wanted the guarantee, the guarantee money. Um, he's not like, you know, you see Pittsburgh now. Like, they, they were just had a freaking, uh, what's his name? Uh, Judy Smith-Schuster was at, uh, like, a prom. And they were chanting, you know, F-A-B. And he was, like, chanting it with them like they had a bunch of problems in that locker room so I don't think he was the only thing there's a bunch of stuff that was that was bad there but uh you know and and then they need all pro level players like I said on offense they had nobody for for you know listen they have guys like like a new one and I think are pretty solid but they didn't have a bell and that helps Sam Donald out tremendously like I said so uh they need to surround him in that rookie contract I'm happy he's in, in my opinion he's top three um, you can argue Barkley. You can argue maybe Ezekiel Elliott. I know some people will argue Kamara. I don't think he's there yet. Um, um, so I, I think it's one of those one of those three guys. But I, I think Bell could easily come out and, and be that number one guy. You know, again in the league, just depending on uh, you know circumstances, what he what what are the calls, et cetera. 
Um, yeah. Anunwa signing. What do you what do you think about them? I, I forget the exact contract was. I'm not going to bring it all up. It was like it was like eight nine million dollars a year. What do you think about that one? Yeah, I think it was pretty reasonable. And I I've always liked Q. My my problem with him lately is just Andrew, I don't know. Yeah. I don't yeah. I don't know how healthy he is. But and and I think he was grossly misused. He can do a lot more than run after the catch stuff. But mm-hmm. having and, and and in this Gase offense, you probably see him flourish and stuff because Gase loves to get guys in open space, let them get yak opportunities. So I think that, but but with, with Q last year, it was so uninnovative. Oh, let's just throw him a little bubble screen off the line of scrimmage, like. Oh, it was. A, it was I just so I just watched the season again. It he did very little more than just run with the ball for the uh, you know on on bubbles and things like that. Like they asked nothing of him. Yeah, it's amazing he did what he did given. Such <laughs> Look at this freaking play! It is out of control how hard he runs with them, and and like with this offense, we'll get into some other guys, but. It you have you have him you have Crowder who's who's a yak type runner you have Ty Montgomery you have Bell you have Powell they have a, they're gonna have a really really versatile offense and, and Q adds that he could do um, what a lot of receivers can't there's times where he's trucking guys like like Champ Cancer over Earl Thomas on blocks you know so you could do a oh lot like that yes yes yeah I, again you want to talk about how important blocking is I, I mean I kind of like unless I had like a super 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 elite receiver um, who couldn't block. I don't know that I'd want any player on offense that just was a dog shit blocker. Because yeah. if you have one guy who screws up a block, that can literally screw up the entire play. So, like, players who are disinterested in, in, in blocking, I don't want those types of players on my team. Um, you know, you're not really going to really ever ask Robbie to block. I mean, I guess you would every now and then, but it'd be very rare. You're always sending him downfield as, like, a you know, if he's not actually running a route, he's going to just run a clear out. But you got to have players that can block, and Q is so good at it. And just look at – um, the 2015 season when he was basically playing a glorified H back, how good he was in that role. Yeah, for for sure. Um, and even like, listen, even if he's not the, because like like we we all know Adam Gates does like to run a lot of screens. Maybe he won't run as much with the Jets because he he has Sam Darnold, who I think is a much better quarterback um, than Tannehill ever ever will be or ever was, especially coming into his second year. Um, but even if he's not running with the ball after the catch. Him, him providing blocking for a guy like Crowder is gonna be something that's 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 really really big that people aren't gonna look into because that's that's film type stuff. But him as a blocker in those trip sets with a, with a bubble screen or a smoke screen, whatever it may be, is gonna be a big thing. Uh, moving on to the next receiver, uh, Jamison Crowder. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I liked him a lot. I, I do want to dive more into his film. I mean, I watched your your whole breakdown of him, but I, I kind of want to do a little bit of a deeper dive myself. But mm-hmm. I, based on the every, I'm not gonna act like I watched a lot of Redskins game because I didn't. You know, when I was studying Cousins a little bit, when the Jets were going to sign him, I was impressed with him then. Whenever they were on national TV, I always liked this player. He's just a good football player. He's not flashy. He's not big. He's not fast. But he's a good football player, and I like these types of players. And I think they got him for a very reasonable deal to, uh, deal as well. And you need a good slot guy, especially in this offense. So that was one of my more favorite signings this season. Le'Veon obviously being number one in terms of free agent signings just because mm-hmm. he's an absolute elite player. But but this guy, I don't care what his pro football focus grade was. I think he never averaged higher than a 69 per year or whatever. But I watch the guy's film, and I watch him get open all the times. So, Yeah, he's, he's, and he's he, definitely he's, – he's more of a vertical threat than I thought he was. He runs good vertical routes. He runs good intermediate routes. I think he's quick out of his breaks. He's a quick player. I don't think he's, 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 not, a, he's not a burner, but he definitely knows how to get it into his routes. Uh, now, in now Joe, routes really let, me, let me ask you this. So being that he's not fast, he ran a very slow 40, being that he's not big and doesn't have a big vertical or anything like that, 
What, what do you like? Why, what makes him a, a pretty good vertical threat down the field? Then it's how just no, it's, 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 it's knowing how to get corners to, to open their hips and how to pass them. Uh, he's, he's very good with, with releases off the line, especially against soft uh, coverage or, or squat defenders. Mm-hmm. And he knows how to manipulate defenders' eyes and, and their hips, um, to where he can get by them. Because listen, like if you, if you're going, if I'm going to, if I'm going to beat you at the line and make you either open your hips later, or open your hips correctly or incorrectly correctly we're gonna have to try to speed turn to get back to me um even if you know if i'm a four six guy and you're a four four if i get that extra second they're all freaking fast you know so he, yeah. he he his his routes in the beginning phase of his route with his um with, with his get off is is what kind of makes him because he is a quick he's a quick accelerator mm-hmm. but he's not quick top end so that quick acceleration plus the threat of him going underneath um, and like I said, him being able to manipulate you is is what makes him a good deep route runner. It's play not, that it's route. Not... Play that play again, if you don't mind. Oh yeah. Yeah, you could see like you know, him <laughs> yeah. him selling his eyes the one way, and it's not just the eyes too. Like he's also like shifting his shoulders over. What what, what exactly do you? Uh, I, I'm forgetting the terminology when when someone sells it like that. Um, Talking like a stack bam step. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. This is a well. It's yeah. This is a this is a stack bam step. We're basically going to to fake the the look of of it's. A, this is almost like a like a rocker and a bam step where he, where he stops on that one. He he actually it is a rocker with with um because he he fakes like he's gonna break off that with the peak technique. So I, this is actually not even a stack bam step. It's just because the stack bam step is a little bit more simple than this. Mm-hmm. Um, this is actually just it's a rocker with a peak technique. So he's peeking outside like he's going to he's going to break that way. Um, that rocker comes right here where he where he is going he's bracing off that uh the inside foot like he's gonna cut outside with that little elbow jam right here where he's throwing that elbow back the right elbow mm-hmm. um, makes it look like he's in a cut and that's what beats the the defender um right there where it, this is cover one robert too this is this is this is man right there he he gets he gets absolutely cooked because of that um it's a rocker step with a peak technique right there so and the thing is, is like a, a, a not a nuanced route runner. They're just going to slow down and chop their feet, which for a really, really bad corner, they might be fooled by that. But yep. you know, to a corner who's not an absolute fool, you know, it, unless they're getting the eye manipulation and the shoulders actually shifting one way, they're not going to think the receiver is going the opposite way. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of, you know, subtle nuances of route running. And I think, and I think you get some of that stuff. So yeah, next move. Um, and we'll have a couple more until we get into the top 25, uh, Clutchio Semele, the, the, the trade for him, they traded what a fifth or sixth round pick for him. He, we inherited a relatively big contract. I think it's 10, 11 million dollars a year, maybe nine, nine, 10, 11, whatever it is. Um, but what are your thoughts on that one? One of my, um, more favorite moves as well. Uh, I really, really, really like this player. Although, and I, and I have not watched his tape from last season, and I heard it's mm-hmm. there, it's littered with a lot of bad. Mm-hmm. What I hear, and I've even been seeing. I haven't really watched a lot of your tweets yet, but I've been seeing you, you know, being critical of him on some plays. So you have to like wonder what happened. I know they have a new offensive line coach. I heard that he benefited a lot from having a good center and like Rodney, Rodney Hudson. And when he wasn't always in, Kalechi also took a a dive in his play uh but this is an absolute mauler and i do wonder now gase obviously he's not just married to i think the past couple seasons he's been running a lot more inside zone the the playoff season for miami they ran majority outside zone and i see kalechi struggling a lot if 
the Jets were to run a lot of outside zone. Correct me if I'm wrong. What you think on that? You've watched this tape more than me recently. I I agree. I I rather have him man gap blocking where it's it's me versus you for this gap. I don't want him necessarily moving a lot in space. So I I do question the fit in our offense. Mm-hmm. You know. That's, yeah. No. That's, I, and I and I and I agree with that. Um. And but. When I was watching him at first, you could tell like the first three weeks he was definitely still a very, very solid player. And I don't necessarily know, um, you know, exactly what injuries he had. But you could tell his play just really changed. He wasn't as aggressive, um, and his technique is not good enough where he can win with just technique. He he needs to win with power and just just how large he is and how you know athletic for his size he is. But if you're asking him to win purely on technique, um, he's not going to. And I think the physicality really dropped off when he got injured so it definitely hurt him um the the fit well there's there's, there's a lot of teams um obviously who are gonna run you know every team doesn't run strictly outside zone strictly inside zone there's gonna course, be there's gonna be gap plays etc but I, I do question the fit a little bit as well um and i know gase in miami at least from what i've heard and i, I trust travis winfield a lot uh with that type of stuff that he was saying that the uh, it was eric studeville who did the run game coordinator? He always has a run game coordinator, so he doesn't he doesn't necessarily uh, script the the run game. Not not scripted, but he doesn't call the run plays. Where I think it's going to be a guy like Frank Pollock, the offensive line coach, who's probably going to be more involved with the run game. Um, but we'll see. But getting a guy who's a he's an absolute mauler. He's going to he's I, I, even if he is not you know as as good of a fit in a zone scheme, uh, I think they'll find ways to use him correctly. We're going to have to see what the film says. Um, on how they exactly use him because there's not really okay well you take your man in this zone scheme zone scheme everybody has to be on on basically one line doing the same type of thing or it's or the zone play is not going to work and blow up the play but uh he's a lot better than james carpenter ever will be in that in that scheme so I'm, I'm fine with it because he does he can move um but like i said i'd rather have him down blocking a, a one tech than trying to move and, and you know uh, move up to the second level and grab a linebacker yes, you know yes, so absolutely um, mark of a good coach is adapting their scheme to their mm-hmm. their, their player skill set so hopefully he, he has that in mind anyway what are, what are your thoughts about the rest of the offensive line it, it's a weakness harrison at center and i will say um i, I didn't do the, i didn't line. i didn't do the assembly uh review on here yet I did, I did do it on twitter if you want to follow me like i said jrb31 i put up like 50 players like that Harrison, I don't love him at center, but I can say a little bit of positivity. Uh, positivity. I was a little bit more encouraged after watching his film, for, for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you have him in your top 25, but maybe we can revisit some of that as we go through this. But, um, yeah, uh, I hate our offensive line because you asked me about that. <laughs> I, I, I really do hate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's funny, too. I actually – so I actually went into the – not not, not going to, like – I didn't go into the offseason. Like not, not, I'm not going to say anything like that. I, I'll say after watching film – I'm a little bit lower on assembly than I than I was before I before I knew what he was just because of how bad his technique was like you said with the fit a little bit higher on Harrison tiny bit higher on Winters and much lower on Shell I I, I don't think Shell unless he completely changes his technique he's not going to work out I, I think Shell was awful last year uh, he don't can't run block he can't yeah. he can't pass block he, he's not good at either um, I thought he was a little bit better pass blocker until because like you know how it is Kyle especially when you're watching film for hours and hours like there's plays you kind of just let slip by if you watch it like, oh, okay whatever nothing really happened. But once I really sort of watch him on every play, his technique is really, really bad. So mm-hmm. the offensive line has to be addressed. I think it's a positive of Joe Douglas, you know, a previous offensive lineman, and the Eagles really focus on their offensive line. So I'm hoping that's something that he does, um, you know, is, is you know, go into the offseason and, and try to address the offensive line uh, coming up this next year along with the secondary. But moving on from him, um, Anderson tendered. What do, you, what do you think about that one? Yeah, you had to do it. You had to do yeah. it. I mean, I mean, there was some talk uh, from um, Tony Pauline, who also had the scoop on the McCagnan firing, 
and he ended up being right and Manish was wrong, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's, I think he's got some inside Jets sources. He also knew like a couple weeks before the draft that the Jets were really interested in Ja'Kai Polite in the third round. That ended up coming into fruition. So I think his Jets sources are kind of legit. Um, but he, he, I think he floated around that, you know, they were talking about trading Robbie for a third. Um, and I'm not I would saying, be pissed. I would be pissed. Yeah, um, I, 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 I would not have liked that. I mean, this is a – tell me like, – I, I put this out there, and I, I kind of was saying it a little tongue-in-cheek, like not being super serious. But when you factor in like, all right, like someone like a Julio, like he's obviously a super well-rounded receiver. But like when you looked at just the rate that Robbie was winning, like if you're a defensive back, you know Robbie can't do much else than just run the nine route. So defensive backs were prepared for it, yet he was still burning them week in, week out, yet they were prepared. Whereas if you're a defensive back and you're preparing for someone like Julio, shoot, this guy might run anything on me. You got to prepare for that. So like my, my kind of thinking was behind that was he can make a case for the best vertical downfield receiver in the league if you just think about it like that. And again, like I'm not super serious about that, but he's... No, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. Um, I think if he was hit more last year, if him and Darnold had more connection, um, you know, I just showed a play, or I showed a play uh, right there where he beat Xavier Rhodes like pretty cleanly. He beat Jalen Ramsey down the field. If he had good quarterbacks throughout his career, um, I think he people easily think of him as a top three, top five uh, deep threat. So many good corners, man. He's 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 top notch. If they traded him for a third, which you're like, oh yeah, do it, do it. Trade him for your, the chances of you finding a deep threat like Rob Anderson in the third round are ridiculously low. Who I think is one of the best deep, uh, threats in in the league. I, I am very very high on Robbie Anderson. And um, when I get into his film review, which I'll which I'll do, you know, eventually, uh, his. Route running is actually a little bit more nuanced than I thought it was with like stutter steps and, and head fakes. Uh, he's never going to be a guy who's going to be able to run full speed and then only take one or two stop steps on, on, a, on, a, you know, on a comeback. Yeah. But because of his speed, he doesn't have to be that player. So listen, you're going to take advantage of your speed where they're going to open up early. You know, instead of two steps to stop, he takes four. Um, you know, he'll, he'll win underneath. You know, he has to get his hips out of breaks faster and things like that. But He's, he's definitely a really, really good wide receiver. Now, do I think he's going to be the ever top five guy? But no. But I right now, I also think he's easily top 20. Uh, I don't think you can argue that watching his film and how much he wins deep. He's, he's an explosive playmaker. I'm really excited to see him this year. Um, any, any given season, if he's not racking up huge touchdown numbers or whatever, the fact that he's just drawing downfield coverage and opening yeah. up stuff underneath helps you every given play. So that's, yeah. the, that's the unnoticed stuff that, that some people miss. Yeah, he, he needs to be re-signed. I would like to see him sign right now. Uh, I know he's a little bit of uh, he has a little bit of issues sometimes, like off the field with the cops and all that stuff. Whatever he did, but um, he is he is top notch. Doesn't mean he can't play football. Yeah. Yeah. No. So uh, four more four more things to t- discuss really quickly. Um, backfield uh, signing Montgomery, signing Powell back, uh, Cannon McGuire. What's up with them? And your thoughts overall on the uh, running backs? I really don't have much thoughts on Montgomery because I've watched so little of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Powell. If, if he's right, man, I, I've always loved Powell. been one of his biggest fans and stuff. Sneaky good running back that never got the amount of credit that he deserves. Seeing him in a more reserve role is a good thing because, you know, he obviously cannot handle a big workload. What was the other name that you asked me about? McGuire? Yeah, McGuire. Then Cannon, I'm, probably, you think? I'm probably higher on McGuire than most. I saw, you know, mm-hmm. I saw, you know, TOJ's president, commander-in-chief, whatever you want to call him, Joe Caparosa. He's <laughs> really down on McGuire, but yeah. – I don't know what he's seeing. I know, I know the, the numbers from McGuire aren't pretty, but every time I watch McGuire, like, I know I'm, I'm seeing good contact balance. You know, I see some, some mm-hmm. ability in the, in the receiving game and stuff. He makes people miss and stuff. You know, he falls forward. 
uh, I kind I like the player in terms of McGuire. So where, where we got him, sixth round pick, uh, I'll take that player on my roster any day. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I actually put it out there the other day when I was done watching the season. I, I said like three players who I think need to be recognized a little bit more for what they did um, was McGuire, was Luvu, and I forget what the other guy's name was. But uh, he's he's a guy who I, I just think, listen, he's a he's a second or third string running back who's running behind a really bad offensive line. So, you know, you're not going to look at him and be like, oh, he is loving on Bell. But in terms of a depth guy, uh, I like McGuire as a number four. Montgomery is a guy who's like more of a read and react type guy. He's a big type like playmaker where well one uh, you know multiple plays who could tackle in the backfield and then one play he'll break out like this the one the one I'm showing right now where a uh, really really strong runner a uh, good breaker uh, contact balance power um, he's a guy who I want more in the passing game and catching some balls in the open field where I want a guy like Powell to back up in terms of like be, uh, between the tackles type runner so Montgomery is a guy who's really super interesting too uh, as well for me. Everybody knows my thoughts on Powell. If you've been listening for you know uh, to me for over however long, I've I've been super high on Powell. We we both been very high on Powell. Didn't we have an argument about Powell a really long time? What was? Do you remember that? Um, I, I, I think forget what it was. On, I think you were higher. It, it wasn't a really big disagreement, or whatever. But it was kind of something like, uh, I don't know. You you were higher on him than I, and I think that. I ended up coming around and being much higher on him after you mm-hmm. know watching some more tape of him towards the end of the season or whatever. But yeah, educating that, one person at a time. That 2016 season, the way he ended that season, he ended that season on a tear, man. And yeah. you know he's been good. Whenever he's been healthy, he's been really good ever since. You know, mm-hmm. like even in 2015, you know, like when we went on the the playoff run that never was to be. He was really good then. It's just he wasn't used in, you know, like massive amounts or whatever. But 2016, he kind of really became the bell cow towards the end of the season. And, man, when he was healthy, he, he really flourished in that role. Yeah, we, we – That San Francisco game, 2016, I know San Francisco was a shitty team with Chip uh, Kelly, but he was so fucking good in that game. He won that game for Bryce uh, Petty. And- that, that one play, um, he had like three linebackers on his back. I don't have it anymore because it's on my old computer because my old computer crashed. Like this one probably will soon because I literally – it was funny. I was, I was watching a scout the other day about all the film I've done in the offseason. I've, I've recorded over like 1,500 plays this offseason of film. It's, it's, it seriously is an issue. It is an issue. Yeah, and but they're MP4 files, so they're not small. And no, they're I'm not. I'm recording them in higher def too. So. Um, uh, thoughts on the offense, of, uh, the offense overall, then we'll get into the draft really quickly, and then the Doug, Joe Douglas, if you have any thoughts on that. But offense overall, n- needs and things like that. I mean, we need to address offensive line. That's what I'm really scared. Like when you're a young quarterback – um, especially like Donald. Donald's someone who likes to make it happen. He's not just your short little check down, get it out quickly type of guy. He's mm-hmm. the type of guy who he's going to go down swinging. You know, he'll he'll take the dagger if it takes a little bit more time to develop. But sometimes in order to need, in order to make that stuff happen, you need a better offensive line. Now, at the same time, he can combat that because he can navigate through the pocket really well. But our offensive line is just bad. And like you know, your criticism of Shell, you know, it's kind of like I've never been high on that dude. And, you know, oh, man, it's just so bad. So, like, I don't – I'm really concerned with having a – like, look at Jared Goff. There were so many things that were bad with him his rookie year. I think he's overrated. I think Goff is overrated even this year to be honest. I think think almost everybody thinks that, although – but, you know, he's he's certainly not a bad player for sure, Goff. But the thing is, is they really changed around that offensive line. You know, I mean, I know Whitworth was super old when they signed him, but he's he's a damn good left tackle, you know. giving Saffold another deal. They got it. They brought in uh, – who's the guard they brought in from the Cowboys and stuff? They made a concerted effort 
to make that offensive line stronger, and it helped a lot. Now, Carson Wentz, you know, the Eagles have always had a very good offensive line. They got a bunch of plus starters, perennial Pro Bowl type guys on that roster. Donald has nothing of the kind. So, like, a young quarterback, it's really important that they have a good offensive line. So I'm really concerned about that, to be honest. Like, look at his technique right here. He, he I, I am really, really low on show. I, I think he has a lot of physical capabilities, um, but his technique in every single aspect of his game is is really nothing short, uh, nothing short of awful, in my opinion. Uh, so going into going into next year, um, listen, like Osemi might be here. You know, ne- he's going to be here next year, but you might be looking at and replacing four or five guys in the next couple of years. Beecham's not going to be here long term. Uh, Osemi's might be here for a couple of years, but uh, Harrison's a big question mark. Winters, like I said, I'm a little bit higher than than I was on him, but he's still below average. And then Shell is awful. So at, at the minimum next year, I think you're looking at replacing both tackles. You know, obviously you hope Shumo Dogo steps up, but they need to replace at least like two or three guys just going into next year um, at the minimum. You know, so they they really do need to to uh, you know address that. But moving on. Uh, in terms of and oh for defense, I forgot to mention it. One of my needs we talk about corner. I think depth safety is also a, a very important thing because you talk about Marcus May going down. They don't have anybody else behind him. Yeah, they, they have Brandon Bryant. Like when we've seen guys like Rontez Miles play safety or nope. Darren Roberts play safety. I mean, you're talking it, the last line of defense. It has a purpose. If you got a guy who really doesn't understand what he's doing back there, and he all of a sudden he's biting on a dig route and he's leaving the deep middle open. You're talking that's a big 40, 50-yard play right there. And Montez Miles, although he's very sparingly played safety in his career, whenever he has, he's always been responsible for blown coverages. And Dow Roberts had a lot of the same stuff last year. So you don't want to put a guy out there who doesn't know what they're doing. So, yes, having a, a depth safety who can, you know, help you out in a bunch is important. Yeah, uh, like just like this play, he's, he's not a good – we need we need a safety. That's that's all I'm going to say. Like whether it be like Trey Boston or uh, – is it? I always forget the name. Is it Mike Adams or Mike Mitchell, who was with the uh, the uh, Colts last year? He's a, he's an older guy, but he's still a pretty solid, uh, you know, safety. So I'd like to see one of those oh, guys sure. signed. Um, and then with the offense, obviously talk about offensive line. I also would like to see them sign like a number four wide receiver. It doesn't have to be anybody huge, but um, I think you're looking at guys like uh, jo- uh, Bellamy. You're looking at Dante Burnett. You're looking at guys like maybe Greg Dortch. I would like to have a fourth guy if a guy like a Nunez does go down. I don't think they have anybody really right there. So give me a name. Give me a name. Uh, Michael, I, my number one guy that I want is Crabtree. If they could, it, obviously they'd have to pay him a little bit more money. Um, it all depends on the salary cap, but I think that's something they don't have, a, a true red zone threat and a guy who is still a really solid veteran, a veteran possession, re, uh, possession receiver should be good with Donald. I, I, would, I would be ecstatic if they signed Crabtree. Um, but now the question is, are you going to spend that much money on a guy who's not going to get that much playing time is a question. So. Uh, there's some other guys like that. I, I think Dontrell Inman got signed by the Patriots, but I wanted him. I, there's a guy I wanted to look at. But um, moving on to the second or the uh, the second to last topic before we get into this um, draft. What do you think about the draft overall? Oh, I loved it, man. I loved it because uh, Quinn and Williams, by far and away, our favorite player in the draft. We literally got the best best player in the draft, um, best defensive lineman prospect in years and maybe four years to come. And we finally got an edge rusher, and I really like Polite. Um, yeah. I, I really, really do. And I think you do as well. Yeah, forgetting him in the third round, what he was, uh, he was a guy who was probably going to be in that top 10 to 15 range of the draft guys that I watched um, prior to what happened at the combine. So his, his film is top, is, it's top notch. So if he can get back to that, 
Uh, I'm very, very happy. Q, he's in the intro. I, I thought he was easily the best player in the draft. I don't think he's really even that uh, close of a competition. Uh, looking at the rest of the draft, like a Doga, what I've liked was Rain Brisner there more. Yeah, but Doga has some capabilities. Uh, I'm actually pretty high on Westco, even though I would have not liked him to trade down and then maybe grab a guy, uh, you know, like a Julian Love who was there. But, or even Char- uh, Chauncey Garner Johnson. Cashman, I think, is a relatively good linebacker. Bless him, Austin, you know, bless him, Austin, whatever. A lot of injuries. Uh, you, you had UDFAs, who cares? Uh, moving on to the last thing really quickly because we do have to run through the top 25 uh, before you get kicked out of your building. Um, Joe Douglas, hire Mac fire quickly. What do you think about that one? I guess I like it. I mean, I've only heard good things about Joe Douglas. Nobody's said anything bad. And the fact that I, I want my GM and my coach to work with one another. So mm-hmm. let's say, let's say Gase kind of sucks based on the fact that Douglas has a six year contract and he's supposed to be this really good guy. Who's going to be good at doing GM work. If Gase doesn't work out, you could fire Gase and let, and let Douglas hire his guy, and you still could have a good GM. So I, I, I think that this, this relationship could work. I mean, listen, Adam Gase was paired with Mike Tannenbaum in his time in Miami. So, like, you know, I think that's another reason you can kind of give Adam Gase some kind of a pass. I, I, I think it was a little bit messy, but ending up with Douglas is I – think, I think it's a good – um, kind of ending to the story where we're getting a GM that a lot of people are really, really high on. Uh, obviously, I don't like the way it happened with McCagden and how Christopher Johnson looked like an idiot um, for the most part. But regardless, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's, we ended up in a good spot. Uh, Gase, I'm a little bit concerned about with certain things, but let's move into the top 25. Okay. Um, so we're going to start, I'm not going to start at one because people are going to start at one and then we'll go to five and like, Oh, you know, I don't really care about the next guys. We go from 25 to one to, to, to hold their interest. Uh, I know how this works, but before we get to the top 25, there's some guys on your list um, who were really, really close to making the list, but did not make the list. That's, that's the first question I want to ask. I did not do that. And the reason was why, like <laughs> when I started getting to like the, the the twenties, I was yeah. thinking, man, these guys aren't even worth me putting their name on, on the list or whatever. Yeah, um, I guess I mean, I guess I have some uh, nice feelings for some of these guys. So maybe I'm being a little harsh or whatever. But no, I didn't. Yeah, there was so there was a couple of guys um, who I was like really fighting with the 25. McGuire was one of them. Uh, Brandon Copeland was one. Neville Hewitt was one. And Neville Hewitt, I had Luvu, I had Bellamy, Westco, and Harrison, who were guys who were really close uh, to making 25 on my list. And Honestly, if I'm looking now, I think I should probably change out Harrison for what I just said for the 25. Um, but regardless, whatever, who cares? Um, number 25, who is it? Let's start off the list. I put Daryl Roberts at 25. Daryl Roberts, okay, yeah. Um, he's for, not there for me. He's not um, in your top 25 at all. No, no, he is. He is in okay. the top 25. Uh, Brandon Shell's on 25. Um, not high on him at all uh, after watching his film. I'm super, super down on him. I'm hoping, I'm hoping Pollock can help him, but his technique – is awful in so many ways, and I have a review of him coming up. He's my 25th player. So, how the hell uh, did he crack your 25? Other than the fact that he's a starter, I, I, that's why. That's pretty much why. Okay, I figured he's, he's by the by he's, the fall, not because he's good. Kind of. I think I, I should I, I should probably substitute Harrison in here, but uh, yeah, he's 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 bad. So he's 25. In my mind, it's pretty bad. Like when you can watch a play and you can't think of a single good play that they've ever ever made in their career. Like I can't envision in my mind. I'm trying to picture all the plays of Brandon. I can't envision a good play. Like oh, like, remember that one time? You know, he he locked down this player, or that one time where he he mauled this guy over in the run game. Can't think of it. 
The only thing he's good at, or, or like I said, his his size, weight, arm length. I think he has some good like 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 hips um, to pick up, you know, exchanges and things like that. Even though he's late on it, I think his physical capabilities are good moving to the second level and things like that. But that's there's a lot more than that to football. So uh, he's my twenty five kind of by default. I should probably put Jonathan Harrison here. Who is your twenty four? Uh, twenty four. Let me pull up my list real quick. Uh, that's that's I, probably you should probably do that. Yeah. Neil Sterling. I got it right here, man. I just need to switch the. Neil Sterling just got cut. It doesn't count. Ah, sh- when did he get cut? <laughs> he got cut like literally four hours ago. Oh man. <laughs> who's your no, no? So now, so now you have uh, Roberts who lives at the twenty-four. Who's your twenty-five? Um, you're asking me right off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not going to be Brandon Shaw. I'll tell you that. Um, damn. Hmm. Maybe Neville Hewitt. Maybe. Okay. Okay. So moving to my twenty-four, I got a, uh, I got, I got Brian Poole there. Um, I haven't watched enough for him to really say, but go ahead. It, yeah, I, I got, I got Poole. I got, I got Poole. Um, and like I said, I'll, I already did the review on him, on, um, on Twitter. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm trying to multitask by pulling up a play here. Uh, he's kind of like like people, a lot of people say, oh, Buster screen like. I get it with like in, inconsistent technique. I think it's because he's a he's a hitter and he's in the slot. That's not really really reason. But Poole is more of a guy who wins with physicality um, than a guy like Screen who, when he did win, was with athleticism and aggressiveness. But uh, he's a guy who you could use him in a multitude of different ways. I think you can move him to safety a little bit, uh, slot guy. Uh, he's a he's a fantastic blitzer because he's super super physical and he's going to lay the wood on you if you if you run out. Um, like a quarterback does right right here. I think he rocks Alex Smith later in the season too. But guy who had he has some good physical capabilities, even for his size, he's not the fastest guy. Um, I do like his like his hips and how quickly he can turn and drive on some things, um, especially for that size. Like I said, it's not like Buster Screen fast, uh, even you know just to give you a relative kind of uh, you know comparison. But I I do like Pool at least a little bit. He's he's twenty four for me. I think he has some room to to grow. Nice. Um, I, I like physical players a lot. I mean, I don't want to see players hitting quarterbacks on the sideline. That oh, it's, it's a virtual flag, but this one rocks Alex Smith right here, uh, which Alex Smith, you can see that like, his face, like the last second is like, Oh, Oh shit. I, I regret doing this, but he, he gets laid out by, by pool. But, um, yeah. Who, so who's your, uh, your 23. Okay. 23. Let me, let me, uh, pull my list up that trust me. I have it. Done. I have Frankie Louvu 23. Okay. Yeah, he was a guy who was fighting right there for me. Pull, pull um, up some Luvu film if you don't mind. Some Luvu film. If you talk on Luvu, I can pull up some Luvu film, hopefully. But sure. he's a guy who, who for, for, for me, um, personally, I think he's a guy who, who wins more with just kind of the, the want to, uh, more than actual technique that I saw from him. But then again, for a guy who I think he produced a little bit this year, um, I, I like him in terms of like, okay, a depth guy who could develop. He was an undrafted guy out of what was like Washington state or whatever it was. I don't even know. Pull up, pull up. If you got the, the clip of him uh, dominating, uh, the hell's the, the Texans, not the, the Titans tackle, the Titans tackle. Uh, uh, what is it? Um, Lawan or something like that. Oh, I know the shit out of him. Yeah. Hold on. I, I might, I might pull the, I might pull the bring that up. The only problem is with like mine is like sometimes when I search it, it's kind of weird. Uh, no, I don't know if I, I don't know. It's okay if you don't have. It's okay if you don't have it. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's over two thousand plays of film on the computer. It's kind of totally get it. Yeah, but I mean, he's pretty good at setting an edge, and like, you know, I, I want a player that has a motor and stuff. And mm-hmm. in order to be, you pretty much can never be an elite pass rusher in the NFL if you don't have elite physical traits. You pretty much need certain benchmarks in that regard, and and he doesn't have that. 
But, you know, like when you have that desire and stuff, it, it, it can manifest itself into making some good plays and stuff. And I, mm-hmm. I think he's got a decent amount of power in his hands and stuff, which every now and then, if you set a guy up all game, you can get him with a nice bull rush. And listen, Brandon Graham has made his career off of not being super athletic, but just, you know, bull rushing guys back into the quarterback. And it doesn't always lead to a lot of sacks, but it does lead to pressures, which obviously affects the play. So I think this is a nice little role player that, that we got on our team. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, like I said, he's fighting for that 25th um, spot for me. My 23rd is Roberts, who, who you mentioned before. Um, I think, I think when he was playing corner last year, uh, do I necessarily want him as number two? Did he prove that much to me? No, not necessarily. Uh, and when he went to safety, kind of really, kind of, I guess, made people more negative on him than they should be. But I think at his at his position, uh, I think I think he's 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 23 for me. That's where that's where I'm gonna put him. So, um, next guy, who is your 22? And that's kind of why I want to see Roberts just play kind of like full season starting outside corner. Um, yeah. Just kind of see what he can do. Because I do think that he could be better than what Claiborne was last year. Uh, 22, I have uh, Brandon Copeland there. I don't remember what his numbers were, but, you know, he, he came up and made plays every now and then. Did, you, did he make your list at all? No, he was, he was another guy who was, who was pretty close um, for me, but he, he didn't end up making it. Okay. okay, I'm really curious to see some of the guys that you have ahead of me. Yeah, so you had. I don't, I don't, I don't love the player, but like, like I said, 22 to 25 for me was like I was not a fan of these players. Like, yeah, really that much. Who'd you? Who'd you? Ha- you had a. Uh, you had Hewitt at 25, 24. You had who was it? 20 was I think 24 was uh, Neil Ster- Neil Sterling. So that doesn't count. So uh, I, had, I had Roberts 25, Sterling 24. Yeah. Um, okay. So moving on to my 22. Um, because I didn't put rookies in here, and then you said rookies. I was like, okay, screw it. Uh, Ja'Kai Flight's my 22. Um, obviously, he has a lot to prove this year, coming into this year, so I don't necessarily know what he's going to be, but just based off his film and what I think he could be, I feel like he had to get onto this list because I have, I almost, I have more confidence in him than guys like of course. Brandon Shell and Copeland this year just because of how, how good he is with his burst and stacking moves and uh, the, the hip flexibility, um, the motor flexibility, the motor. Um, there's a lot of things in his game where, listen, uh, he played at like 230, 235. If they can just bulk him up to maybe like 240, 245, or even if he can't, just let him rush how he rushed at Florida. He's going to get some plays. Um, or he's going to make some, some sacks or get some sacks, I, I believe. So he's my 22. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the NFL, there's so few guys that can really win with bending around the edge like that. Um, it, not every team has a guy like that that can really win bending around the edge and stuff and, you know, having flexible ankles and stuff, which I think you pointed out a lot of that <laughs> stuff in your Josh Allen review. Yeah. And, and he has that. And we haven't had that in so long, probably since John Abraham. So to finally got a guy to, to seem like we have a guy who can do that is for me, I, I was so happy with that. Yeah. That, that was, I was super, super pumped with, with this pick. Uh, like I said, he does have some things to work on, like the recoil that he has out of a two point stance. I think if you put him like a wide nine and a three or four, um, where you're reducing that recoil, the like I was, like you were you're saying the the hips, the ankle flexibility, which was funny. I had the engagement picture. Everybody's like, "Oh, nice ankle flexibility," because they listened to the show. But uh, yeah, he's he's a, he's a, he has traits that we haven't had in a, in a while as a uh, as a you know outside rusher. So I'm definitely happy with that pick. All right, so moving on to the 21st player on your top 25, who would that be? Eli McGuire. I like my boy Eli McGuire. Okay. I've never really, I mean, like, every time I put on his film, I've always been a little pleasantly surprised. And even going back to college and stuff, like I said, I know the numbers aren't great. We already kind of talked about his skill set a little bit. Maybe you can pull up a, a McGuire player, too. But like I said, like, you'll notice, like, you know, he, he's running and he, he, he displays good contact. Yeah, I, I like some of the plays that he had in this game. 
Yeah, it's it's just like little stuff. It's not, it's nothing it's like it's not like on Bell, but it's an, it's definitely it's definitely a, enough. Um, and he and he's pretty quick out of his cuts. Like you said, contact bounce. I think it's pretty good. He's not a power guy, but I I think he maintains his his balance pretty well through arm tackles and things like that. So, um, yeah, I I like this play. It's pretty <laughs> for a guy who's a number three or four for people like like trash. This guy like oh, you should have gone a roster. Uh, I disagree with that, especially for a guy who's like what, like a fit, uh, I think a sixth round pick going into his now his third year playing behind an offensive line as bad as it as it was last year with the Jets, um, in terms of run blocking, um, and he was a guy who was kind of forced into a starting role because you had Crowell go down, uh, and you had Powell go down, so you had your number three being your number one, so people were a little bit down on him, but I don't I don't think it's warranted. Yeah, absolutely. Now go ahead and say you're 21 if you so haven't already done so. My 21 is a different running back. It's actually Ty Montgomery. Okay. Um, super versatile. Like I showed some plays before. He's a guy who's going to get like a loss of one a couple times in a row, but then break a play for 40, 50. Uh, like so even he's better. got some Barry Sanders and Saquon Barkley in him. Yeah, but he's a little bit more of like a – he's actually more of a power guy than I thought he was. Like, you know, hearing wide receiver to running back, I would think like super finesse. He's actually pretty freaking big, like pretty strong dude. Uh, will truck you over. Uh, I think he's good at like not, not necessarily stop-start. I think he's a good change of direction, but I think his stop-start is a little bit more – um, sketchy if that makes sense where I think he's able to change directions quickly but he's not necessarily explosive out of those breaks um, and his vision is definitely lacking you could tell that he's not has not been a running back forever uh, but he's a guy you hit him on a slip screen or a jailbreak screen or smoke screen whatever it is um, which screens are still some of the hardest things to learn uh, exactly the names of all of them but he's a guy who I, I think is pretty pretty versatile I, I like I like him getting you know maybe maybe five to ten touches a game so he, he did make my list as number Number 21. Okay. And I, when I was looking through the Jets roster and assembling my list, he was a player that I really thought about putting on here, but it would just totally be about what I've heard about him and nothing that I've really actually watched. I, I've watched so little of his film other than a couple plays here or there. So I, I couldn't really justify putting him on my list for that reason. Yeah, but I, no, yeah. But I, I did think about it for sure. Yeah, like like I, I don't know if you saw the play I just put up of, of him before against the Bears, but – He's just he's a, he's definitely an yes, interesting player, and um, like here, talk about like his his cuts. Like he he has some good cutting ability. Like I said, I don't think he's super explosive out of his breaks, but uh, power guy. You see him trucking over guys, breaking tackles. Um, some good vision in the open field. I don't think he has good vision between the tackles, but in the open field, I think he has pretty good vision. So uh, he he did make my list. I think it's a, a chance to shoot a little bit higher, especially in a in a like a, not a, not a key backup role, but like I said, maybe five to ten touches a game. Um, depending on matchup, et cetera, I, I think he'll make a relatively, uh, you know, nice impact. So, uh, moving on to your number twenty, right? Number twenty for me, Jakai Polite. Had to put him on there, man. Okay, I, I really, really like the player. I mean, like he's it, like you, a lot of people pointed out, like, oh, he's not very good in the run game. I think you did a good job dispelling that myth in your yeah. film review. Mm-hmm. Um, wins with a variety of moves, inside counters and stuff. I mean, this this dude could be a really productive. I mean, like he could be. If he gets his shit together, I mean, not that he's a bad person or anything like that, but, you know, starts working with a nutritionist or something, um, plays at the right weight. He could be a guy who gets, hovers around like 10 sacks every year. I definitely can see it. Oh, I could see with, with his – and I'm sure you've heard me talk about like the five things. I know Brett Coleman said this, and I completely agree with what, what he was saying, and, and it is really important the five things you, you need are – you know, that, that burst, the arm length, which doesn't necessarily have the, the speed, the bend. Um, and then there's one more, more, uh, one more in there that I always, that I always miss. I'm trying to uh, rattle them off, but he has a lot of things that you need like with it, with that, 
with the flexibility, with the bend, with the speed, um, where I think he could be a guy who gets that 10 sacks a year. I think he could get even a little bit more than that. Do I ever think he's going to be a guy like Von Miller? Um, no, not necessarily. But I think I think if he reaches his full potential, you could see him hit 13 sacks. Um, you know, not maybe not every year, but I think he could definitely hit that. So in terms of the run game too, I think more of it was because of his size and his arm length that people were just kind of you know assuming that he wasn't you know wasn't great in the run game. Which there are some times where if he gets squared up, he'll, he'll get driven out of the play even by a tight end sometimes. But he, the effort that he has and kind of the aggressiveness that he has, like Luvu, where you're talking about like his strong hands, it's strong hands and the fact that he's willing to attack you um, yeah. that that wins him some plays. And this play, what happened in this play, I remember it. Um, there was a, sim- a similar play earlier in the game where the the, uh, the right guard pulled and he wrong he wrong armed the um, the puller and then he later in the game he actually fakes the wrong arm so this play he does wrong arm him later in the game it's a similar play he fakes the wrong arm and then and then shoots back outside without contact so he actually makes some plays in the in the run game like this one that that I really did enjoy watching uh, which like I said I did the full review of him and I think I kind of ease some of the concerns about him in, in, the, in that run game. Now, is he going to be actually do that with the Jets all the time? I'm not necessarily sure how they're going to use him. I think he'd be more of like that wide nine type guy who's just asked to, to rush a lot. I don't think you're going to use him a lot in the run game because, listen, if it's a running type situation, you have you have McClendon, you have both of Williams's, um, and you have Henry Anderson who will be the four down guys uh, depending you know, on the look. So I don't think he's going to be used a ton like that, but it's not like he's as bad um, as some people were saying he was. So I, I agree with your take there. Um, Moving on to, or I guess my nineteen, my nineteen, or my my twenty is is uh, Kelvin Beecham, um, guy who I think is a, a below average tackle, but I think I, I still think he is capable. Uh, who's not going to offer much in the run game, but I think in the pass game he is relatively solid. Um, if there are guys who have uh, you know really really long arms or are super athletic, I think they're going to beat him because he just doesn't have the physical capability to keep up with those guys. But in terms of technique, I think I think he's pretty clean um, all around. But I think he's kind of just he's kind of just there. But I, I still do think he deserved to be on the list. So he's he's number twenty for me. Hey Joe, were you ever able to figure out why he always takes such a big split? Uh, no, that well that was that was like two years ago. Um, this year, I would like to watch more. Um, on exactly why they would be doing that if they are doing that um, you know with him that could be for a multitude of different reasons whether that's the gap they're trying to run into like I said I have yeah. to watch those plays it, it could be also a thing where okay you're gonna you're gonna widen that's but I, I I have you know grown in my knowledge last year but if you're gonna widen the split that could be okay with the speed rusher um, along the outside he have to widen even more which gives a quarterback more time um, that could be, like I said, on the backside of a, of, of a run, you want to widen them out even more. There's a, there's a couple different reasons uh, for that. Like, like if you're trying to kick somebody out, then you have more room for the running back to hit that B gap if they are running on that side. So there's definitely some reasons you would do that. Now, now do I remember exactly why they were doing that with him? No, I'd, I'd have to watch again because I wasn't as comfortable with my knowledge in the run game as I am now um, or even in the past game. But, no, I do not know. So my no no are we on no you're on your 19 now so let's go to your 19. I got Winters there. Ah okay that's that's our first match. We both have Winters at 19. Okay cool. Yeah um just he's kind of like whatever. Uh every now and then he'll have a kill shot. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you know people like were the Denver game where he had that one kill shot on who who the hell was it one of their rushers I think, like I think I have that play somewhere. It it was on a, it was on a uh it was on a stunt. Yeah, I mean, th- this dude is not an athlete at all, and sometimes his technique can go to dog shit. But uh, I-, I think he's a tough player who wins with with toughness. Yeah, That's a different so, one in the Bears game. There's a, there was one in the Denver game, but I had this one. But, I mean, he's just 
and even in, like in his own game and stuff, like, oh man, like him moving laterally and getting to the second level. Ugh. Yeah, he, so he actually, his, it's, it's weird with him because there's the times where he actually, he actually displays pretty good technique. And then there's just some plays where he, he just completely loses it, where if he can get yes. cleaner in his technique and, and more consistent in his technique, I actually think he's, he's, he's actually pretty, like, he's decent. He's, he's actually, I think he's a decent guard. And I think with better tackle play and, and, and center play around him, you know, maybe this year, which you still have the same guys, I think he get recognized a little bit more. Um, but right here, like he, like I've seen him scooch technique. I, I've seen him with this uh, ricochet block that he displays with, uh, with, um, you know, uh, Harrison moving up to the second level on on this ace combo block. Like he, he has some technique in his game. Like I said, with traps, with ricochets, with with long arm, but not uh, long arming with uh, lever, which I'll show in his all all in his review. Um, but then there's a certain plays where this play looks really nice, and the next the next play he'll he'll display piss poor technique and then let up a sack. You know, so um, he's an interesting guy. He's super inconsistent, but he he's like flashy at times. It's kind of it's kind of weird with him. It's it's always almost weird watching. So I'm like, why the hell did they do this on this play? And the next play he has really bad technique, which like it's hard to bring up specific examples, um, which I will do obviously when I do his review. But he was at 19 for me as well. So moving on to your 18. Yeah, and just a final comment about him, like you know. To get really, really, really good guard play in the NFL nowadays is not very easy to do. So a kind of mid-level starter like that, you, you, you kind of take him, and there's a lot more players that you'd like to criticize before him. Yeah. Uh, 18, I have Kelvin Beach in there. So we were okay. kind of similar in that regard. Um, I don't like Beach. I, I'm actually surprised that I actually have Beach him higher than you do. But um, in my estimation in terms of last year, Beach him most consistent lineman on the, entire, on the entire roster. Definitely not good in the run game, like you said. Uh, and even his pass pro, like, you know, he doesn't have good length. So oftentimes, he, you know, he can lose by more uh, lengthy players and stuff like that. But screwed up by big time by long arms. Yes. Sure. Which is just natural. I mean, it's it's not like a lack of effort or anything on him. But I mean, listen, you're talking about a 6-2 tackle. How many 6-2 tackles are there in the league? I can't I can't really think of any. So. Yeah, well, other than his running mate now, Chuma Adogo, who's going to have some, some – he has a weird body, uh, Chuma Adogo. I think he's actually – He's kind of like Beecham. He's kind of cleaning his technique, but his physical limitations might really hold him back in his career. But honestly, though, if he can turn into just a decent, you know, right tackle, like what Beecham is at, at left tackle, or even just a, a tackle like Beecham is, I think that's a good pickup in the third round. So, um, moving on. But there are some concerns with him, like walking off on USC and not giving effort and things like that, that I do not like. I actually, since we're talking about that, should I just, I, I'm, I'm about to just do this um, because you have not watched Dorch and it's going to. Um, put them on. Put them on. Yeah, it's dude. I'm just gonna show you like one like, and this there's a lot of this where if he like he's right here in the slot. If he knows he's not getting the ball or he sees double teams and things like that, he'll just completely stop running. Like, so I don't I don't I don't get the whole the whole love with him, dude. There is a lot of that in his in his film. Um, I, was, I could see why his little ass got undrafted. Yeah, it's it it, it was bad. Um, you tell me a little small little guy like that coming to the combine measuring crappily, and then he's going to give that type of effort on film? No, thank you. I don't want you on my team. Yeah, I'm not. I was not the biggest fan. But okay, moving on to my uh, 18. My 18 is a little bit lower than I think some people are going to have him or would think if they made their own list. My 18 is Marcus May. Um, wow. Yeah, it's I, I like Marcus May, but he has a lot more proof to me. Um, I think last year he was he was asked a lot and cover he you know he was in cover three a lot but nobody really tested him too much where I saw a lot on film. I think his rookie year was was severely overrated by fans because of some big plays he made. But I, I watched last on film. Games were bad, and I saw there was at least five or six touchdowns he could have easily given up that the quarterback just did not see. 
Um, and he's been injured. Listen, if he was healthy all last year, I think last year he was actually pretty solid when he was in the game. But he was also he also only played in in, in six games. I, I believe it was six games last year. So I, I I still think he has a lot to prove for me to move up higher on the list than well, he's my 18th than my 17th guy. So um, yeah, that's that's where he that's where he is for me. So I'm gonna be really embarrassed when I reveal where I got May at on this list. Uh, I, I won't uh, say yet, but. Yeah, he's. I think I think he'll definitely go up this year, especially if if he has, um, if he is able to stay healthy. Because I, I do think right now he's like a decent type player, um, but it's it's a lot of health. A lot of the health is is coming into this for me uh, over his first two years. So, uh, who you had? Um, who's your eighteen? Yeah, I didn't ask you for your eighteen. No, you did. It was Beecham. Oh so. crap! Yeah, okay. I didn't do seventeen yet. Seventeen. Who is it? Jordan Jenkins. Okay, I don't, I don't know where you have him, Matt, but he's he's done a lot to improve his uh, his pass rush repertoire mm-hmm. over the past couple of years, mm-hmm. um, and we're starting to see the numbers reflect that a little bit. Maybe you can pull up one of his uh, his pass rush plays. Um, like stacking moves. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty. And he's a, I mean, I, he was known to be an edge setter, the Calvin Pace type role that we drafted him for, but um, he's never ever ever going to be an elite rusher, never. No, he will never be Tamba Ali, as Kyle Fahey once said. But I mean, <laughs> oh my God, some of those compare. I gotta find a better one than that. But I mean, Tamba that, Ali was a first round pick, twentieth overall. So like, yeah, no, Tamba Ali is might be, he might be in the Chiefs like like Ring of Honor or whatever they call it. Um, I can see yeah. this player not getting a second contract with us because we didn't draft our current regime did not draft him, and I could see a team. Like, look at this player. I want to give him big money. He plays so freaking. He plays so hard, man. I, I, I like I like Jenkins. I'm gonna pull up a play of him um, in terms of like like you know stacking moves, which I think was his biggest improvement. I talk about that a little bit, um, and I'll do the review of him. That, that was his problem. The last by the way, Gronk is a very good blocker. And who, who comes in here? Is that is that Tooney who's pulling around here? Whoever, whoever yeah, whoever. That's Joe Tooney, who's a very, very, very good and underrated guard. And you know, listen. Not only does he not like really get moved by two, and he holds his weight weight in the gap, he ends up throwing him and stuff. And had, say, oh, had uh, James White come a little bit more into exactly. where where Jenkins was, I think Jenkins could have made that tackle too. And not even that, people are like, oh well, he didn't make the play. He didn't make the play, but he also just took on two guys and took them out of the play. So I'm, I'll take yeah. I'll take two on one, you know, literally any any time of the of the day. So. Yeah, and plus, you know, Gronk was going to the second level. By the way that Jenkins hit him, he stopped him from going to the second level quicker. I, you know, yeah. most people don't really notice the nuances in the running game like that. But no, that's a really solid play by Jenkins. Here, this is him going against – That's I think that's Taylor Lewan, right? One of the better right tackles in the league? No, I, I think – I think no, Lewan's a left tackle. I know, I know the right tackle is actually oh, – oh, th- th- Never mind. This is Conklin. Jack Conklin from Michigan State, who was supposed to be really good, but kind of, you know, had a lot of injuries. If that is Conklin, I, I know Conklin's battled a lot of injuries. Mm-hmm. I don't even know his number. But um, can you can you go back to that move one more time, or or another one? Oh yeah, sure. I can I can do this one again. But whatever, it doesn't uh, matter. No, oh, sorry. I, this one's gonna be an. E- I think I just pulled up one that's an easy sack. So this might, yeah, I pulled up easy sack. I don't know why I did that, but uh, What's this Watson just running into him or whatever. No, no I, actually, you know, it's it's a tight end, but he you know gets his elbow tight. Wide back, nine, yeah. And then he, and he is, he's coming a long way around. to make this play. Like yes. that, like when you're when you're that far out, that's not an easy play to make. To 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 run into a guy, make contact with him, and still shed him, and have enough time to get there. 
not easy to do. No, it is a tight end. He still is. This is technically he is stacking moves. You have you have the bull rush into the rip um, as he's going to clear his hips right there. So it's kinda, and kind of like grabs the wrist a little bit. Has like a little bit of fork action in there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, fork. I like it. So it's um. I actually hold on. Let me see this one because I think this is one that I I put I this by the by the label. Of this it looks like it's probably going to be a stack swipe club rip unless I unless I just wasn't sure what the move was exactly when I was watching it. Well, he goes a, he goes a swipe the inside hand. He he obviously misses, but then he comes with a club into a rip right there. So there's there's a there's a play of him stacking moves right there. He almost gets to Stafford, but he just misses him. So he definitely improved in this. And getting seven and a half sacks, I don't yeah. think it was fluky. I think that was that was by him. I think he's a guy who could get that. You know, maybe maybe seven and nine sacks a year and be like a Calvin Pace ish type player. I'm I'm fine with that. So I like Jenkins. It's really going to be really interesting to see what we do with him in, in his second contract because who yeah. knows how, how high Douglas is going to be on him. All right, anyway, go your 17. So my 17, it's uh, – I'm, I'm almost – it's – I don't want to be this low on the guy because I actually really like him. And if you if there was one player, like more more underrated player over the last couple of years who I've, I've driven his hype train, who has it been? If you had to say one player. I don't know if you really remember from like recently because you, I don't know you have been a, a player that you've hype. driven the hype train on. Hundred percent. Oh, 100%. McClendon. McClendon. Yeah, yeah McClendon yeah. is my seventeen. Um, it's because he's getting a little bit older. He doesn't really offer a ton of pass rush moves, but he is a solid freaking player. I like McClendon a lot more than anybody did uh, when he was coming from Pittsburgh. I told people watch out for this guy. From what I've seen, I was really really high on him. And um, he's still he he's still you know kind of maintaining. Uh, I'm still kind of maintaining my opinion of him uh, throughout the years. I I I like him a ton. Uh, super powerful guy, really good with his technique right here. Right here he goes into a rip and he throws a hump move because the number seventy three is going white right over, there. He's going to overcompensate and just throws his ass to the ground and gets in Rivers' face. He is a solid player who doesn't get a lot of recognition because he's on the interior. I was very 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 happy. Um, when they when they re-signed him to be that you know whether whether it be a zero he's you know that he's getting paid nothing yeah for what he is I'm, I'm definitely very happy that he's here but because of a little bit of his age and he doesn't really offer a ton um in the in the past game that's why he is my uh my 17 instead of a little bit higher but like even the, i remember being impressed with this play. i don't know exactly what happens here <laughs> wow. he's a beast man he he really he really is the quick quick arm over uh fights through contact another hump move uh-huh. just cricket tosses this guy like he is man he makes a tackle too um I'm, how difficult that is to do versus 300 pound dude this, he's not doing this against high schoolers he's he's impressive so he's my 17 um i think i'm a little bit too low on him if i if i, I really read my too. list again i really um, think you are i should probably you know what i'm gonna i'm I'm so, I'm I'm shocked to hear you out of all people having 17. What the hell are you thinking? Yeah, I think I'm gonna move him up. Uh, let's. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say he's actually he's moving up. Uh, man, I'm gonna move him up to 14. If if I could do that, really looking at my list again, sure. I'm gonna I'm move sure, up to sure. 14. So my 17, I'm gonna put a Chris Herndon there. Um, yeah. and this is I I think he can be higher than this. Um, coming into this year, I think a lot of his catches, like he had some impressive catches. I th- I still think he's a lot of work on. A lot of his routes that he that he went on, I didn't really see anything that was overly impressive in terms of nuances or technique in his routes that that won him. Uh, I think it was just kind of just getting open because of concept or whatever it may have been or off coverage or zone. I do think he's a player who could be a very solid tight end. Um, but um, and I know he's he's a guy like people are expecting to be a top fifteen guy, which I think he could easily be. But he still has a lot more to prove to me 
than uh, two other Jets fans who saw so like saw it on the hype train just a little bit. A little bit for me for 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 Herndon. Uh, I think he could be a top guy, but uh, he has to definitely more to prove. He made some damn impressive plays, but then there are also plays where you know he 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 got a catch and maybe some yak, but there wasn't really anything that was super impressive about that type of play. So uh, very fair. I'll move him to my seventeen. That's totally fair. Um, so you want me to go to my sixteen or? Yeah, sure. Yeah, go to go to your sixteen. Uh, Tremaine Johnson. Okay. I don't know if you consider that low or whatever, but I mean, yeah, he had a down year. He did did pick it up towards the end of the season or whatever, but uh, it's kind of sad when you think about it because uh, you were. I think your your bill on him was top ten corner in the league in the league. And then for me to no, have him. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, I, didn't you say – I'm not trying to – No, 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 no. I said I, – I think I said, which is a little bit lower, I said 12 to 15. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, then I, I misunderstood you then or, or misremembered. Watch it, Kyle Smith. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, that, that makes sense. But still, I mean, like, for him to be ranked like 16 here, it's, it's a little down. But I, I, I like his ball skills. I like his awareness and stuff. Play him more where he's a little bit more comfortable. And, I mean, maybe – I don't know. How comfortable is he with pressing? You'd think – being as big as he is, the, a team would want to do that more or whatever. But I, I don't like how he's so quick to give up underneath stuff. Oh, he bails right conservative. away. I don't, I don't like that. Yeah. And I get it because he's not a fast guy. And, like, as a corner, like, you, you don't have time to make a mistake because mm-hmm. the receiver obviously knows where they're going. So if you're playing makeup speed, and he doesn't have the makeup speed like some of the other faster corners in the league do. So he does. He can't be wrong as much as them. So I don't know. I mean, he's a, I think he's a solid tackling corner as well. But Oh, yeah, he's definitely – yeah, he's a good tackler. Um, he was a guy I definitely struggled with because of his what I saw of him with uh, the Rams and then thinking what he could be this year with like the trap defense and all that stuff I said. Uh, so he's a, he's a couple – literally a couple spots higher for me. Um, he's definitely a guy who I struggle with probably the most about exactly where to put him. Um, but my 16 is a guy you just talked about. Jordan Jenkins is my, is my 16. Um, and we, we already talked about everything that, that he is. Yeah, I think he's so, a guy who's very solid, but I don't think he's ever going to be an elite type player, but I think he's a guy that people are talking about like, Oh, need to replace Jordan. Jen-. I don't think you have to replace Jordan Jenkins. You can't have superstars everywhere that, yeah, if you had a Von Miller or a Khalil Mack and you want to replace him, sure. But I don't think he's a guy you're, you're immediately looking to place. I, th- I still think he could be, you know, that strong side linebacker who sets the edge. You just need that, that rusher as an outside linebacker on the other side of him. So I, I like him as a starter. I'm fine with him as a starter. You need guys like Jordan Jenkins who play hard and set the edge. So um, yeah, he could be a very solid starter on a, on a, really good defense so. i think so i think so so moving on to your 15 since we're talking about jordan jenkins uh Caliccio semele really that's that too high for you or too low i think i think you're too i think that's i think that's low yeah i mean it, maybe it is but like all the stuff that i was hearing from brandon thorne and from other people even i even got sucked into the pff uh train on this one and even reading even reading, <laughs> even reading some of your stuff I was thinking, like, this – normally I would never put this player this low, but kind of hearing all of what I heard about this season, haven't really watched it yet this past season, Yeah, I, I figured it was justified to put him that low. But I, I still love the player, though, and I think that he could easily, easily, if he gets healthy again and he's with a good offensive line coach, shoot way up this list. Because yeah, he it, was that good at, at a point in time. I don't know if you're going to watch his um, – I, I know you'll probably watch my film review I do of him. You'll see, like, the differences of him in the earlier season than in the later season. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely higher on him the, than, than you are, especially considering – you know, I, I think he could bounce back to that near pro ball level. I really do think he can. 
um, if he is healthy. And especially, you know, he was a guy who was playing at like 330. Um, now maybe he'll be able to move a little bit more if he's down to – I think he's down to like 300. I think he's going to play at like 310, 315. So maybe now he can move a little bit more. So I definitely have – I'm a little bit higher on, on him than you. That's, that's probably one of the, like, the biggest discrepancies we've had um, so far in the list. Uh, 15 for me was – Top five for you? Not top five. Okay. Um, he, my 15 was a guy who just talked about Tremaine Johnson. Um, I, I see him being a guy who could shoot up all the way to the top 10 pretty easily if he returns to his form. Um, but I could also see him being what he was last year. He has a problem, like you said, but he has a really long arms. He has a lot of really, he's not um, a young player either for a corner. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a young player and he's the, the, how much he bailed and just played off was really bothersome. And it's hard to really tell, okay, well, was this coaching or was it the players? And they let them do whatever their preference was um, because they're – we talk about with Bowles, and he's, he's really like he, – people think he's a great defensive coordinator, but it makes little to no sense to me. And I, I'll never understand it how it's third and three and you're playing your corners 10 yards off. And I, I'll never, especially when you blitz. I'll take that and, all day. I'll take the first down. I'll keep the clock turning. I'll keep my offense on the field and keep your defense tired. Come it on. It makes little to no sense. The, the, the purpose of a blitz is, is to get there fast, and you're playing your corners off, which completely negates the blitz. It's just, it, it made no sense. Um, moving to your 14. Uh, number 14 for me, I have Quincy Anunwa there. Ooh, Okay. All right, yeah. We um, talked a decent amount about Q. Maybe if you can pull up uh, one of his nice, you know, it probably wouldn't be from last season, but one of the nice routes that he's run in the past or, or him separating vertically or him, you know, mossing Malcolm Butler or whatever it is. But, I mean, the, the dude is a little bit more than what we saw last year in terms of he's not just a yak guy. He's not just a guy who can block. There is some nuance to, you know, I mean, not in terms of him route running and stuff, but when you factor in his physicality, how yeah. strong he is, yeah. how fast he is, he can separate running routes. It, it's not – I would never call him a good route runner, but he can do some nice things just because of his physicality. Yeah, right right here he runs it. It's a, it's a pretty solid route. Um, he's not he's not going to be a guy who's going to really snap a route off and beat you with that. Yeah, it's a little rounded. It's rounded here, but what he what he does is he gets he he gets outside, he gets the outside leverage he wants, and then what he's doing is he's leaning. And you you want to lean into guy. I talked about I think I literally talked about this last week when you're creating that pressure um for a corner to fight to fight against. It's gonna make, it's gonna be harder for them to 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 cut, you know. So good route, good catch. I, he he definitely do more than what he did last year. That's that's for damn sure. So, um, but I'm a little bit higher on him just because of and and this is this is kind of a hard one because of his injuries. Maybe you factor that in a little bit as well. Um, but he's a little bit higher for me. My 14 is, is McClendon. That's where, that's where I moved him up to where he, where he talked about him. Um, okay. No need to talk about him anymore. Yeah, Just because of the, he doesn't offer a ton in, in the pass rush. So he's my, he's my 14 really, really solid two down player because of some of the limitations. That's where I have him, but he is a, he's a beast. So uh, who is your 13? Uh, Robbie Anderson. Maybe it's too low. I, I, I really, really, really like yeah. the player. You, yeah. I mean, me and you, his rookie year, uh, I think you and I were probably driving the hype train for him more so than anybody. But I still do see him as just kind of a one-dimensional player. You're, you're not going to get any yak out of this guy. You're not running any ends around with him. He can't break any tackles. He can't block. Remember doing that last year running him on end arounds? Like, what? Oh my why? God. What? Why? Come on. This dude, This dude. you know, a Pop Warner kid could tackle him. Yeah. Yeah, for real. Um, but he's just such a good vertical threat that just I have that, him, just I that have, alone. I have him much higher than you do. Much higher. Um, Top five? Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, I am super, super high on Anderson, especially after I will say, listen, I, I think he's going to be really good in Gase's offense. I mean, uh, I actually texted Travis Wingfield yesterday about who's studied probably more Dolphins film than, than you or I mm-hmm. in Gase offense. Gase loves taking shot plays outside of the red zone between 25 and 40 yards out. And when you want to talk about Robbie Anderson, like the, the amount that he separates in, in that yardage frame, I, he could be hitting a lot of touchdowns. And, and Wingfield actually said that uh, Kenny Stills, I think it was in 2016, which is for his first year with the team, or that was, or, was actually his second year with the team, Stills. Um, he had like 10 plus touchdowns that year, and all of them came from like 25 or 20 plus yards. Mm-hmm. So, Gase, so he had like nine 20 plus yard touchdown plays. So and I'm taking, I'm taking the Anderson over there. Stills any day of the week. Yeah, and I'll take, I'll take Anderson over Stills. Yeah. Um, and I definitely like Stills is super fast and stuff, but Robbie's better at going up and getting the ball than Stills on a vertical route. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so my number thirteen is Powell. That's that's right. That's where I put Powell. <sighs> I guess um, I made this list too before the Powell thing was official. Maybe I, I'm not sure. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I put him in there because we we talk about how solid he is. He he could literally do everything. Good pass blocker. Good. Uh, he's a good runner between the tackles. He has. Um, a lot of good athleticism. He's he runs solid routes. I think he's a very solid backup type player. Um, or even you know even when he was starting, like you said, like 2015, 2016, when he started to start, he was uh, a solid running back. I mean, he wasn't top of the league, but I, I think he's a, even a solid starter as as a running back. I think if you saw him with a better offensive line throughout his career, he would have produced a lot, a lot more. So uh, he's my 13. And then who is your uh, 12? Unless you want to comment on Powell, because you didn't put him in the list for some reason. No, I mean, I, we, we <laughs> talked about him a little earlier. I really like the player, so I have no yeah. problem with that. Jamison Crowder there, number 12. Um, also versatile in the sense that he can do punt returns for you and stuff. And when we showed how – when we, you got a special teams player that can actually return the ball and actually knows how to set up blocks and actually knows how to read his keys on a return, yeah, that, 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 that kept us in games. Like the Packers game where they were scoring on us left and right. Donald had a great game that game, but he was not keeping up in the shootout with Aaron Rodgers. But the fact that um, – I don't even know why – Andre Roberts, you know, had so many good returns in that game. That really kept us in that game. You know, and he, so many games. I mean, he might have even – never single-handedly, but really like – Kept us in a lot of games last year um, that we shouldn't have been in. So, like, uh, I, I don't think that Crowder will be that level of a punt returner, but I do think he's going to be good if he if that isn't. I don't even know if he will do that for us, but he can do that for us in a pinch, just like someone like Jarvis Landry every now and then would return punts. And yeah, I I think I think he's a guy who I said I think I said it last week or two weeks ago. I don't think he's going to be the primary punt returner or kick returner, but I think in a big spot in a game like you're down 24 to 21 with three minutes left, you have the punt return. Maybe he'll be in that situation because I I do think he's pretty solid at that role. And like we talked about before with with his route running, and and you're seeing it here where where he chops to get in inside, uh, stacks the cornerback, and then this is where you see that that peak and that and that bam step right here, which is that one hard plant with a fake look. Um, and he gets inside on that on that post dig, if you want to call it a dig, that's a little bit higher of an angle to get over the linebackers or whatever you want to call it or whatever he was told to run. I don't know if he altered it or if, that, if it was like a set post or a dig. Um, but he gets open and he just doesn't – the, the ball doesn't get thrown to him. But he's definitely a good route runner. He offers um, a lot in, in my opinion. So I had him pretty close. I have, I have him a couple spots higher. Um, but going to my 12, I have Henry Anderson there. Um, I think you'll probably have him pretty close to that. We talked about him before. Solid player. Um, good long legger. Good. He has really good athleticism. I think for his size, he actually plays a pretty good leverage. He plays hard every single snap. So I, I like Anderson um, a lot, and I'm happy they, they re-signed him. So he used my 12. 
Yeah, nothing flashy with him, but he keeps working the entire play. Like you said, good at running stunts, can slide them all up and down the line, bats balls. You know, he's got good length and stuff, understands when the quarterback, you know, starts to release the ball to get up to bat some balls. So that's also an underrated, you know, like on the third down, if a quarterback can't ever, like if he has got a guy open, but that ball never gets to the guy because it's batted, you know, that, that means something. So uh, I like Henry Anderson and I have no problem where you had him, although I do have him higher than that. Yeah. Okay. So then moving on to your, was it 11 now? Yeah. I have, so 11 for me is Chris Herndon. And, you know, after your, your comments on him about him being, you know, kind of schemed open a little bit more than him, you know, always just separating on plays and, and truly beating a guy like a drum makes me want to, you know, put, put, put him down this list. But I, I do have some pretty high expectations for the dude this year. I think that, I think he's just a good football player. And he does have a lot of holes in his game or a decent amount of holes in his game. But um, I do think that he's got some untapped potential for sure. You know, I just I, and I like his game. I like his potential. But just I, I didn't want to put him over guys who have proven more to me at this point, like a Powell and like a Henry Anderson and like a like a Crowder type type guys. Um, so I, I like his potential. But like I said, he had to prove a little bit more. There was a he couple bother me at times. Yeah, well, yeah, like that Packers game where you ran that when when Donald threw to the back shoulder and went right through his his hands and hit him in the chest. You know, there's there's definitely some plays where his, his hands are are lacking. But uh, moving to my next guy, that's who. Um, or no, sorry, I don't know why I, I brought Henry Anderson for some reason, but whatever. I forgot I was going to talk about with him. But um, moving to my next guy, you, we had talked about him before. My eleven is um, is going to be Crowder. So. We just we literally just talked about. It. I think he's a solid slot guy. He offers a lot. Uh, I think he's a good deep threat because of how he gets open. You know, kind of in the first phase of his route, he wins. He's able to win deep. He's a good slot guy. Really good route runner underneath. Uh, is a guy you can run on end arounds and jet sweeps and a punt return. I think he's super versatile. And I think his injury concerns are a little bit overblown. Where it's one injury that he had, and uh, Scott Mason uh, a while ago had on like a doctor. Uh, sports doctor talking about his injuries and he said I wouldn't be very concerned about anything Crowder's gone through so uh, Crowder is my number 11 so moving on to our top 10 who is your number 10 you're gonna kill me for this oh god (laughs) you really are and I'm gonna get killed by everybody watching this I got Sam Darnold number 10 Ooh, yeah that's that's I'm not uh, as high on Darnold as a bunch of other people And, and listen I like Darnold don't get me wrong um and but I just and I really think he can totally elevate to top five, no problem. I and, and I have do have really high expectations for him, but just right now, I think that there's still a lot of flaws in his game. He still needs to learn a lot, and I'm concerned with our offensive line being what it is that he's not going to, you know, you know, get what he needs to get to get to the next level this year. But I mean, he he's, he definitely struggles in some areas too. Still holds onto the ball too long sometimes. You know. He's still has inconsistent mechanics at times, but as Mark Schofield always say, mechanics don't become a problem until they become a problem. The thing about Darnold is he can throw from muddy pockets in weird situations where most quarterbacks would never be able to deliver a ball like that. But every now and then, he can mess up a, a, a pass because of that and stuff. And there are some concepts like smash and stuff, which he doesn't read well at this point in time. Um, has really good anticipation and stuff, but... I, don't, I just don't think he's there yet. And it was hard for me to kind of put him over some, some of these other players at this point in time. But like I said, he could easily pass them. And quarterbacks take a huge jump from year one to year two. So, Yeah. Um, no, hold on. He doesn't yeah, – really, really bad with uh, reading smash. <laughs> hold on. I can't even see the screen right now. Oh, now I can. Top of the screen. <laughs> um, 
I just do that to be a dick, to be completely honest. No, I, 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 I get it. Um, he has – He throws smash a lot more times than one time throughout the season. <laughs> I, was, like I, said, I was literally just doing it to be a dick. So, um, he – his rookie year was interesting because there was games where even earlier in the season he looked solid. The Lions game, he was very solid. The Dolphins game at home, I think he was better than people thought he was. The, the – um, you know, the game against the Colts, the game against the Broncos, he was pretty good. But then you saw games versus Cleveland, versus Miami the second time, versus Jacksonville, uh, versus the Bears. But I also think that having the piss-poor run game that he did, and I brought this up multiple times in shows past, he threw for more 10 plus third and 10 and, and fourth and 10 situations more than anybody in the entire NFL. He was wow. 21 years old with very, very little help in the run game and very, very little help in the pass game. Um, for the most part, where Noonan was out most of the year and Robbie Anderson was out for some games. Uh, there wasn't a lot of games, but there was a few games where like, he was playing the, uh, the Chicago Bears, who were the top defense in the NFL, with guys like Deontay Burnett and Jermaine Kearse as his, as his help with no running game. So I think he was really not helped by the team. And you, 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 you kind of put that on top of the fact that he had no help from coaching, in, in my opinion. And he also yes. didn't have a great defense that supported him. So he did so not have a good – he did not have a good roster around him. And for some of the plays that he made, um, even during those games that were like, yeah, okay, you had a you had a bad play versus like Miami where he stared down a guy on, on a Panther concept, which is double slant, um, where he brought he, – he carried the – I think it was Minka You're talking about the one where he was picked off and like and, – and the team returned it to like their – and they were in yeah. the red zone. Yeah, the, fir- the first game against the, the – The safety the, uh, picked him off, right? I can't remember. Yeah. The guy used to play with the Rams. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, so he had some struggles, but I think he didn't have a good team around him, especially for being as young as he did. And like I said, so there were some of those games where he made eye-popping throws, in, in my opinion. And like you said, his ability to make off-script throws and plays was very, very impressive. And then what he did in those last couple of games was absurdly impressive. Yes, and now you give him a was. better, now you give him a better coach, a better team around him with a better defense to support him that doesn't put as much pressure on him. Um, I have very high hopes from him, and I was a guy who, prior to the Jets drafting him, uh, we I did a podcast with with uh, Scott Mason, and I said that I think he could be a top three to five quarterback uh, in the in the NFL. Like I said, this is prior to the Jets drafting him, so. Um, I am very, very high on him, and I think that he is a guy who is going to show out this year uh, very, very much. I, we did not, nobody thought he was going to be even there for the Jets. So Let uh, me ask you, because this, this is the quarterback, and I know that you know, time is of the essence, but yeah. it is the quarterback after all, and it is our, 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 he's our savior, so to speak. So I think we could spend a little time talking on him. Tell me, I have no problems with Darnold's athletic ability and things like that <laughs> and his intangibles and his work ethic. Um, I do sometimes, you know, his, his ability to understand uh, passing concepts and stuff, I, I sometimes question. What, what are some concepts that you think he, he reads very well? Uh, dagger was fantastic for him. Um, dagger concepts, crease concepts, which is basically uh, uh, crease concepts the same as dagger. Dagger just has the, uh, the backside drag route that, that a crease concept doesn't have. Um, we ran Mills a couple of times. I thought he was really good at that. Sale concept, which is something that Gase ran a ton in Miami, was something that I thought he was really, really good at with that three-level read along the sideline no matter how they get there from from a deep crossing route to a, a corner route that intermediate um there was the panther concept the, the easy concepts are, are i don't have to bring those up panther slant flat any any of the flat nine eight seven six are really easy high low reads 
Um, Mesh was a concept I thought he was relatively good at, even though the Jets didn't run it a lot. Um, but then there were some more kind of, I guess, complex reads over the middle. Uh, not a complex reads. It's I think he struggled a little bit more over the middle than he did toward the sideline, um, especially earlier in the year. But I think he he, he improved on that um, as the year went on. So I, from what I understand of Gase is Gase is going to adapt his offense to Donald. He's already been in contact with Donald. Um, but over those last over those last two three games, I think there was plenty of concepts that they that they ran um, that he showed that he could play. I don't, think, I don't think it's really one thing. Okay, he has to run a lot of crossing type routes um, that beat man coverage or whatever. Maybe I think there's I think there's enough where he could run. Like I, I got I'm almost overloaded with Sam Donald information because I just put up 125 plays of him. <laughs> so I'm trying I'm trying to think, but um, it's it's all good. Yeah, yeah. No, so I, I don't know if that was a good enough answer. That. No, it was. Um, it was, and I'm sure that you'll address some of those things more when you do your uh, re- video review. That is. Oh, it's yeah, it's uh, what is this like? Some of the plays he made later in the season. And this this is one that I remember me and Marcus were talking about it. We're like, okay, this is super super risky of Donald, but some of the playmaking ability he has is just absurd. <laughs> like this this play, <laughs> like come on, man. This like, is some like this is some shit you'd see in Madden or something. It's, it's backyard football. What he, what he does, um, like man. And so, you can't teach that. You cannot teach that. Never. No, 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 no. So I'm I'm higher on him than than you are. And like I said, a lot of the reasons. What is this one? Throw. And by the way, like one thing he really cleaned up from NFL to college, and you saw it, you saw it a little bit there. Like maybe if the wrong guy hit him, you know, like he he's got much better with holding onto the ball with two hands and not fumbling. Yes. He had a yes. lot of fumbles in college, so that no was had, really encouraging. No one had one fumble that was his oh, fault. Throw, it was a man. Yeah. See, How many players in the NFL can make this throw? This this throw on the run and having to plant like that, point his shoulder and and float it over a linebacker with enough with enough whip on it to to get there before that that high safety gets there. Not a lot of players make that throw. Nope, it's, not at all. So he, Tom Brady's not making that throw. Nope. Sorry, Tom. I mean, Tom. Tom does a lot of stuff. Sam Dar- Donald doesn't do it. He's not making that throw. I just see so many plays that I have in here. But, 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 so the Packers game and the Texans game are hard to dis- decipher which one was better. I think the Texans game was littered with a little bit more really, really impressive type throws. Yes, I agree. Um, where like even this play where I actually thought he got rid of the ball a little bit late right here. I like to see him when he notices that it's, it's Tampa two. I like to see him get rid of the ball, you know, here instead of taking an extra second right here, which is why that, that the, uh, the curl flat uh, corner right here, the cloud corner, some call it, um, was able to drive on this yes, ball. Yes, yes. I think it's Kareem Jackson, right? But yes, it was. Um, but that's a ridiculous play between those two zones. Even though you did get rid of the ball a little time, like a quarter of a second too late. And that's the thing about Sam is like Sam was – to be a great quarterback, you've got to take risky throws. Like that coverage, especially in playoff football, is going to be tight. So if you're always, if you're always being too you know, uh, risk-averse like Alex Smith, you're going to forego big plays like that. So that's the great thing about Sam. Um, go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. Don't trash my boy. <laughs> it's funny. Like I'm not trashing him. I'm just saying no, like okay. – like even like this play, like like uh, he was so he was so good towards the end of the season. Um, oh, this game was so fun to watch, man. He had the this game. I, I was watching it at work, and like people don't people in my work like they're not huge into football. I was watching this game. I was literally like like pacing around the room, like giddy about how well he was playing. Cause I hadn't seen this type of quarterback play in my entire life. And, and you know, that 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 little fit, the little pump fake that he does, where he you know he it's it's not just him pulling the ball and putting his eyes there. It's also him like moving his shoulders. Uh-huh. That that draws coverage away and 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 frees up his man a little bit on that play right there. Uh, this play doing that while on the run too. It's not like he's sitting in the pocket. 
you know, manipulating his shoulders like that. I'm sure you remember this, this, this throw as well. Um, oh yeah. This one. Yeah. No, it's, no, it's a really, and a really, really impressive play that oh, not- I watched this game with Gary too, man. He was quiet during then. Yeah. And he loves to call Sam Darnold until this day, the turnover machine, but it was pretty sweet when he went into the bills home and shut him up. I got to find this throw. Um, I'm not gonna be able. I'm not gonna be able to find it right now because I have so I have so many plays. But <laughs> have you seen that play of the throw that he made to, to to Powell? Um, even though it was short of the first down, but he made a ridiculous throw to Powell uh, in, in the flat against the Vikings. Uh, I've definitely seen it. I can't picture uh, it in my mind right now, though. I'll, 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 I'll obviously I'm gonna do the whole play. That's gonna be like a three part show, two part show, all on Sam Darnold. Um, but he was literally getting his shoulder uh, dragged backwards by. A, oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah! Okay. Yeah, throws the ball. So I was like, "What that, is going on? Like, how does know. that even work?" So yeah, he, again, you cannot teach that, and that's this is part of the reason why some people think that, you know, he's, you know, just like could be top five quarterback in the NFL because, you know, there's a bunch of smart quarterbacks and stuff, but only some guys can do some really crazy stuff. Yeah, uh, I just have so many plays in here where I just would like watch it and be like, "Oh, ridiculous decision!" But a problem with a lot of his like in a game, like I said, like you know, the defense, the offense. There's a lot of plays where the Jets' offense just ran like sticks. Just everybody turn around, oh, yeah. first down. like that's that literally all they ran. Like it was, it was. That's crazy. something that I would run in NCAA football in my dorm room when I'm playing against you know a bunch of idiots that don't know how to. Yeah, defend. right. Like draw it in the dirt. Like okay, go to the first down and turn around. Like that's what the Jets did a lot. I, I too, way too much. The offense was so un, un, un innovative. So I mean, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be so much more fun this year. But now the problem with him, like you said, um, I think his footwork came to bite him in the ass a lot more than people do realize, um, yeah, which I will funny. talk about. His footwork is it, he has to work on one driving through through throws. He has to work on his on his the point foot, his front foot, um, on pointing to where he wants the ball to go. He has to work on stepping in the bucket. He has to work on some of those things a lot, and and it and it definitely hurt him. Um, you know, this, this season. And I'll bring that up a lot when I, when I do his review. Um, but the plays he was making with the lack of talent he had around him was love, just love this play, man, man. Love yeah. I telling you, you have him too low. And it's funny too. Cause like I have, I have, um, I know I, I do, but that's no, okay. I, I know what you I know what you mean. I don't have him in the top five, but he's, um, it's, I'll let guys that work crap on the jets for anything, like whatever, even though I like, they're like, Oh, the jets are going to go four and 12. And I actually bet a guy at my work, uh, five, literally $500 and the jets would have seven or more wins. Cause I am confident in them with their coaching and, and their, and their team. Solid bet. So I'll let them crap on anybody, whatever. I'm not gonna get in an argument, especially when it'll be like, Oh, well, look at his stats. I'm like, okay, well, what do you see on his film? Like, I'm not going to do that to my coworkers because I know they're not going to say anything. Um, I don't want to be a dick, but, um, Darnold's the one guy. I'm like, listen, do not crap on Darnold. That's the only thing I'll fight you back on. Don't do it. So, uh, moving to my ten, um, I have a Noonwell there. I, I put a Noonwell one spot ahead of Crowder. I just think about the versatility he offers and being able to crack block or even kick guys out or or work as that sift blocker, like a split blocker as well. Uh, I think he can play like a little bit of fullback and and lead for for Bell. I don't think he's going to do that necessarily this year, but I think he offers so much vers- versatility that he had to be. Um, at 10 for me, one spot above Crowder. So um, we already put plays of him up. We talked about him enough. So I, don't even, I, don't, I couldn't see Gase doing that. He doesn't really use a fullback like that. So Yeah, yeah, no. But I, I, like I said, I think he's going to be big in the screen game and blocking, and uh, he'll be used some down the field too. So he's my 10. Who is your number nine? Uh, I think nine for me, yeah, it's McClendon. We already talked about him, so okay. we feel free to move on. I, I, I respect I respect having McClendon high. Um, I, I'm super high on him. We've talked about him I enough. I just think about consistently good players that I can rely on all the time and 
I had to put him up there. So, um, so move on to uh, my number nine is uh, no. Oh, sorry. Hold on. I just I just did something weird. I just accidentally deleted a player. Hold on. I got to back up my thing. Okay. So my number nine uh, is Avery Williamson. That's that's who I have there. Um, Love that player. I yeah. I was high. I did the film review on on him last offseason. I was super super high on him. He does have some limitations in coverage. I I think he he's not a terrible uh, defender, but I, he did have a little bit more tr- uh, trouble in. Um, and dropping into the zones than he did uh, with the Titans uh, last year with the Jets. So I think he's a little bit limited in coverage. So that's why he's down here. But in terms of the run game, uh, he there are times where he's over aggressive. Ne- you're never going to make you know ten out of ten plays. But in terms of like just putting his head down and taking on a pulling guard and still getting the tackle, he plays something Darren Lee would never do. No, no, no. So I'm definitely high on Avery Williamson. He he is my my number nine. I'm, I'm I could pull up plenty of plays for him if you have him maybe at eight. But I don't know if you do. Good blitzer too, which which Mosley is not. So they really complement each other well. You, you must watch Toj film room. <laughs> no <I'm> kidding. So <laughs> hey I, I, man, huh. he is a super good blitzer uh, because he's just he's he's a bull, uh, super compact and just he's a he's a bigger dude. Um, for his height, and he just plays so so he's aggressively. Just nasty man. He's that kind of player. Like you know, his coaches loved him. You know, what Oklahoma drill in high school or something like that. Yeah, he must have been rocking people there, and his coaches yeah. just loved every minute of it. Yeah, like, and I'm not. I don't, I don't like Kia plays like, oh, this is the best play. I just literally saw take on fullback and tackle. He's just so willing to put his head down and, and still yeah. keep his eyes. He's up. got a lot more, a lot more impressive plays than this. But yeah, like Mosley there, he's gonna slip the guy. He's gonna dip under him. Whereas you know Mosley, I mean uh, Williamson is just going to to blow him up. I don't know. Let's see what this one is. I have a I have a ton of a ton of his uh, plays. I don't know where where was he on this one. He's, okay, he's on the backside. Yeah, so he he made plenty of plays. I'm gonna do a whole review of him. Oh, the strip too. He's he's smart with strips. Yeah, he had quite a bit of strips and stuff. Because he does that. He he's a guy who, as soon as he has you wrapped up or you're in traffic, he's gonna rip that ball out. And he's and he's and he's freaking strong. Um, I like Avery a lot. So him and Mosley, character guy too. Yeah, him and Mosley, I think are going to be a, a top, a, one of the top inside linebacker duos in in the league because I think Mosley is is a Pro Bowl All Pro type player, and I think uh, Avery Williamson is right on that like maybe Pro Bowl ish type level, maybe a little bit below, but very very solid. Just uh, to, to say the, you know, the yeah, least, when you so. factor in when you factor in a duo of inside backers in the NFL, just off the top of my head, who's better? Than the two of them. Oh God, I don't I even know. Think, I can't think of one. We'd have to. We'd have to go through a lot of uh, teams and and look them up and like bring them up on the screen. But there's not yeah, many. I'm just saying. Like, just yeah, I I, th- I think you're easy, you could easily put them in top five easily. And you're looking at the deep, the, the Jets front seven right now is very it's, very exciting. Yeah, and and especially adding Q there is obviously the most exciting piece of it. But oh God, it's so un, it's so underrated. Jakai so can, can I ask you a question? Jakai is he's so different than what we've had. Oh, he's he's pure speed, bend, and athleticism, and just burst. That's that's what he is. With some technique, he he has different moves. He has yes. swipes and clubs and rips. He it's not like he just he just wins the speed. Um, he has a lot more moves than a guy like Josh Allen did. But I had Josh Allen higher because I think he possessed the the strength that uh polite didn't have any and he possessed some of the the length that he didn't have was it i always say strength length power technique and bend those are the five i was i always blank out i'll remember later um where i think josh allen has all five of those where i think polite is a little bit limited in his arm length and even um with his power but if you're elite at those other three you can get 
12, 13 sacks a couple of years. So I, I think he's a guy if he develops, could be the Jets' answer at outside linebacker. So you have him plus the, the combination of the Williamses inside with McClendon and Henry Anderson. And then you have uh, Jordan Jenkins, who's a solid outside linebacker. Me and you are hiring him because we watched the film than uh, other guys are. And then you have Mosley and Williamson. And then you have Jamal Adams and Marcus May hopefully healthy. The defense could be very, very solid. I think if they, if they can somehow kind of hide their problems at corner and they really – Low to their, free, uh, their their full potential. I think they could be a top five defense. I don't think that's an overstatement, um, with how yeah, definitely and, 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 and they have. some of that matters too with how good the offense is because can the offense sustain drives? I mean, how are you factoring top five defense? Like most people usually do. It's just such a stupid metric. Yards, yeah. In terms of yards, like oh, they're a top five defense. Why? Because the yards said so. Like yeah, the yards, but maybe oh. they got they got an extra ten plays a game because the offense couldn't stay on the field. You know so. The defense is so tricky from year to year. Like, you'll see one team that has, like, a super good defense, like the Vikings two years ago, and then this year, not so much. Jaguars, same thing. It's, it's much, You'll notice it's much easier to stay consistently a good offense year after year versus a good defense year after year. You'll mm-hmm. notice that. Um, so moving on to your number eight. Uh, <laughs> I got Marcus May at eight. And wow, I, feel, yeah, I feel like I, I feel like I have him too high. Yeah, it's high. I was actually really down on this player. Um, I didn't. I did not like the draft pick, thirty-seven or whatever it was overall. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't like the pick, um, but you know he's kind of he kind of won me over, and I thought he was good last year. Like when I did see him, but again, like you said, like it, it's tough to think of a lot of plays where he really had like a big impact and stuff. And yeah, just because he wasn't getting tested, or whatever. And then if you put on the last couple of games of his rookie season, he was getting smoked quite a bit. So. Uh, solid player, good tackler, um, smart he's, player. He's, but he's I, probably, I probably do have him too high. And if I could redo this like you did, if if there's one player that I could bump down, like you bumped up McClendon, it would be him. Okay, yeah. I, so I actually think he's a, he's he might be he's actually really solid in terms of like he could play both down in the box and um, high in coverage. But he just has I think he's very solid in the box, but he still has a lot to prove for me in coverage to be um, what people think he is. Where people were saying it. You know, a couple of years ago, where oh, he had a better rookie year than uh, than than Adams. That could not be farther from the truth. So people say that they did not want her to watch like, in, in my opinion, you you have no idea. Um, obviously, Jamal Adams wasn't what he was in his first year. You know, compared to his second year, but he was much, much, much better than Marcus May, in my opinion. Um, yeah. And the thing is, you know, May plays so much single high, and it's like. You know, I never really seen the athleticism, or you know, to, he's never, he's not. I wouldn't. Does anybody consider him to be a rangy safety? I consider him to be like a like a smart safety. I think he's decent with range. That's a safety, but yeah, he's not super rangy or anything like that. So yeah, good player, but you know the injuries stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's your number eight. He's also kind of old too. He's he's twenty five or twenty six. You think he's twenty six? I think. Which I am right now. So like hearing you say he's old, I'm like, damn it. (laughs) You're not a pro athlete. Uh, Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, moving on to my eight. This is really hard because I, man, I don't, I, I have to do it because he's a rookie. Uh, Quentin Williams is my eight. Um, Fine with I, me. <laughs> I think he could be. You're too, you're too low on him. I think he could be, I think he's going to be much higher after this year. I am so ridiculously high. One after this year, probably. Is he, uh, so question, were you as high on him? Because I know you watched the film and stuff too. Did you watch him before from I did the, the film moment, review on him? The, from the moment I watched him, which was before your film review, yeah. I was super high on him. Dude, he is, I watched him, or actually no, I watched Bosa. I was like, ah, like, okay, I see it. But I was low, I'm lower on Bosa than a lot of people are. I think he's a guy who, like jo- like Joey, um, is a guy, or, yeah, no, sorry, like Nick. No, Nick came out this year, Joey's, yeah. Okay, so 
like like Joey, he's a guy who's gonna like plateau at like that 11, 12 sacks. I don't think he's ever gonna be an elite player. I just don't think he, he possesses the physical capabilities. Um, I watched Quinton Williams and I was gushing over this guy watching him. I I his technique combined with his power um, and his athleticism, like I said, oh yeah, you know, yeah, a guy in freaking Oliver is a superb athlete. Too. He's he. What did you say? His smarts too. He's a very smart player as yes, well. But Oliver did not have what he what he had in terms of technique or in terms of smarts. Not even remotely close. And Oliver ran like a four seven two at like two or like at like two seventy five two eighty. And then you had a guy in Quinn Williams who ran like a four eight two at three hundred pounds. Like it's not. It's a. There's a difference where Oliver is more explosive, but Quinn Williams is a freaking beast. Like a beast. So um, I, the only reason he's this low is because he's a rookie. Exactly. Um, I think what's going to happen is he's going to be top three very, very easily after this year. Uh, he is dominant. Um, I am so excited they picked him. I, did you hear the story? So I was in Canada right after I proposed, and uh, I, didn't, I, I couldn't get the, the draft on because there was no – I heard this story. Yeah. And when, when, he, when, when Scott told me they picked him over the phone, I was screaming in the streets of Canada. Like, people were looking at me. I, did not, I, I couldn't care any less. Um, this guy. Yeah, like why? Yeah, exactly. So uh, he's, a, he's a beast. He's, he's my number eight. Just, like, like I said, just because he's a rookie and um, – that's really it. That's the only reason I could say because he's going to be a dominant player. I have so much faith in him. I think he could be a pro bowler his, his very first year. Yeah. Um, kind of. I kind of want to say, I mean, defensive line play is so stacked in the NFL. There's so many good defensive linemen, so he might not get to the pro bowl just for that reason. But there's a part of me that kind of wants to say, like, I'd kind of be surprised if he didn't make it. But He's that good. He's going to be dominant his first year. I don't care if he's a rookie. He will be dominant. No doubt. Like, look at, like, wow. Oh, my God, man. He's just so good. Like, oh, I, I love him. I, I'm so happy to just have play, him. Play one more time, at least. Uh, look how quick he is out of that stance. <laughs> He's so that offensive lineman's chest before he knows it. Yep. And uh, him, combine, combine that explosiveness and that power with technique and knowing how to either – you know, being that light stance or that heavy stance um, where he's either reading or reacting or penetrating, it's, man. I, How could I, you not love him? I, I mean, I said, listen, I'm, I'm getting a people, Quinn. I haven't people. bought a jersey in years. I haven't bought a jersey since 2015. I'm buying a Quinn and Williams jersey. First jersey I'm buying. There was people who were pissed that they picked him and were like, oh, I'd rather have Oliver or one of these other edge rushers over Quinn Williams. I'm like, you don't – it's because you don't watch film and you don't realize how dominant, dominant this guy is. So we're watching what he does. So uh, there are people still like, oh, I wish we traded back instead of taking Quinn Williams. You'd have to get a, a haul. A haul. So, I, I said – I, I think I said on Twitter, the only way I'd be cool with that is if they got like a Redskins type of haul, like when the Redskins traded for RG3, yeah. like – Three first rounders and then some. Like then you also have to consider with that. With they only move back four spots. They only move back down four spots in that draft too. You also have to consider is who is making those picks to get those extra seconds, extra thirds, extra fourths. It was McCagnus. I wasn't very high on trading down. Just take a blue chip all all star type player who is easily number one. Not even really close for me. So uh, moving on to your number seven. I know you. I think you have to. Yeah, I'm gonna scoot out of here in like two minutes and then like you know I'll I'll reconnect. Yeah, I'll reconnect with you. Um, um, we'll do that now. I'll, I'll pause it. We'll be back in okay. two seconds. And we are back a few minutes later with Kyle on his cell phone, which has relatively good audio. Uh, hopefully it maintains itself throughout the call. 
Um, but then we're going to finish up our last seven players. And then actually to end the podcast, we're going to have Scott Mason come on for 10, 15, 20 minutes to talk about Joe Douglas hiring and some of the highlights from his press conference. So moving into number seven, Kyle, who is your number seven? So for me, number seven, I got Henry Anderson. We spoke about him several times through here. Uh, we're both pretty high on him, but I think he's a solid player and you know, it's going to be a really big player for the Jets this season. So number seven may be too high in your opinion, but no. I, I think the, I think there's a definitely an argument you can make that he's over guys that I had because I, I had him at um, 12. I think you could argue over him over Crowder, over Anunwa, maybe over Williamson. Eh, no, I, I could see him maybe as, as like my nine. Um, so he's – but he's your seven. That's only a two-spot disparity. So uh, moving on to my seven, I have Clutchio Semele. Um, I think that if he rounds back out into form, I think he could be a Pro Bowl level guard, like we were talking about before, with just his pure domination and his physicality, with how he moves for how as big as he is. I think he displayed some decent technique um, when he was with the Raiders, it just wasn't consistent. And he also came out and said after losing like the Adam Lefko podcast or whatever it was that he was saying that Tom Cable would teach him. Um, you know, different, or he was teaching the offensive line different different techniques um, and blocking, whether it be, you know, individual technique or the entire, you know, offensive line as a unit. And he would just basically take the advice, but be like, this wouldn't work. And then they had to execute it. And um, it, 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 you know, there's clearly some play that did not work because of that technique. So I think with a better offensive line coach and a guy like uh, Pollock, it would definitely hopefully help him kind of shoot back up to his Pro Bowl level, which I think it will. So I'm going to put him at seven. I think he can move up a little bit higher if he does get back to what he was because with the with the Raiders, he was a, a all-pro level type player, one of the best guards in the league. So um, I could see him dropping a little bit and maintaining his spot or even moving up. So I had him at, as my number uh, seven just because of kind of his potential, and uh, I think he'll round back out into form. No question. It seems like everybody who leaves Tom Cable automatically gets better. He's just been so bad with so yeah. many different offensive line groups over the years. I don't know how he keeps getting jobs, but anyway. Well, there's – yeah, you don't question people. There's there's a guy in Dowell Loggins who keeps getting jobs. Not Dowell Loggins. Is it Dowell Loggins? Yeah, a guy who looks like Spencer from uh, – yeah, Is that yeah, offensive coordinator's yeah. name? So, okay, so moving on to your yeah. number six. Number six, Avery Williamson, our boy. <laughs> you were really the first one on the Avery. You were really the first one, so kudos to you, who was like really, really high on Avery. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of Jets fans have fell in love with him since. But uh, kudos to you on that. But really, really good player, and we've already talked about him extensively. So I think six. I don't think it's too high for him. No, I I only have him a couple spots lower. And um, yeah, I remember signing him, and people being like, "Oh, who the hell is this guy? Like, what's you know, what's his deal?" I watched his film. I was like, and I said, I I I can bring up the review of last year. I said it. I said people. A lot of Jets fans are gonna like him a lot more after watching him play for a year, which has you know obviously happened where people are a lot uh, much more higher on him. So I like that spot for him. Like I said, only a couple spots higher um, than I had him, but just be, the only reason I had him a couple spots uh, lower just because of some of the limitations I saw in coverage. Where I think he's decent, but um, there was definitely some 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 slip-ups he had in his own coverage, which I, I think he had less of in Tennessee. So hopefully he'll step his game up a little bit more this year. Um, my number six is Sam Darnold. Um, higher on him than you are, uh, even though we did talk about some of the plays, we talked about some of the reasons that he was a little bit lower on your list, and we talked about some of the struggles he had because of what was around him, both with coaching and talent, both on offense and defense. So I think with the talent around him, with a better coach than Adam Gase, he's undeniably a better coach than 
Um, a guy like Jeremy Bates, in my opinion, I, I think he's really going to shoot up this year. I think he has the potential to be a top three to five quarterback. Um, but this year, I'm expecting him to easily be top half quarterback in the in the league. And it, it, in my own personal expectations, I'm, I'm expecting him to be top 10. I really do think he's going to be that good. Um, now he's going to make some mistakes. He's not, he's not going to be a finished product that in his second year at 22 years old, 23 years old. But I think you're going to see some, some more consistent flashes. I think you're going to see a lot more of those Packers and Texans type of games where in the last four weeks of the season, he was the highest rated quarterback in the NFL. You're going to see a lot more of those games strung together. than you're going to see bad games like the Jacksonville against Jacksonville Jaguars hey, or Dolphins. So. Slow your roll there, Joe. You said highest rated quarterback according to who, Joe? Oh, uh, no. I, yeah, I know. But I only <laughs> – I only do that when it works out to my benefit, but highest rated quarterback. Of course, of but, course. But uh, he was still top notch, regardless of film we've 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 watched. It's not like we're just saying that. And be like, oh well, you know, he made a nice throw or two. I watched every single throw of each one of those games, and uh, he was definitely one of the better quarterbacks. Even in that duel with Deshaun Watson, who's looked at as a, as one of the upper tier guys, um, I think he easily outplayed Watson in that game. It wasn't even remotely close. So I think if Donald can start to stack those games together, which he did over those last couple of weeks, especially like I said with better coaching, better defense, better offense around him, the, the, the sky is the limit for this guy. So I had him at six, but I think he could easily move up to, to one, two, or three uh, in these next couple of years. So he was my six. Uh, moving on to your five, who would that be? Number five is Quentin Williams. Top five Imagine as a rookie, being, huh? Top five as a rookie. I mean, listen, yeah. like, I wouldn't call the Jets roster, like, one of the best in the NFL. I think it's solid overall, but – I mean, listen, I think it's a stretch. Like, this guy, unquestioned best player in the draft. We keep saying that. We've said Mm -hmm. that a bajillion times already. I think he's going to have a better season than all the guys that I have uh, him ahead of. So, yeah, this is, that's why I was like I nervous. Mean, I was nervous to put him at eight because of how good I think he's going to be. It's just because he was a rookie that I was like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I feel like by the end of the season, he's going to be in my top three or top four. I, I think it's really after this year, your top five where you're looking at, you're looking at Adams, Bell, Mosley, Quinn and Williams, and probably Sam Donald are going to be in that top five next year. But uh, just because he's a rookie, I put him a little bit lower. Um, my number five, we talk about him plenty. Uh, my number five is Leonard Williams. Um, the other Williams, I think he is – he went from being a little bit, not even overrated, but people started to talk about him being overrated, that people now look at him like he's a replaceable type player. Leonard Williams is still a very, very, very good defensive lineman, and I watched his film again this year, and he was damn impressive. Uh, but when you're, when you're getting double teamed and you're asking to you know, uh, two-gap a ton and, and read and react instead of attack like you will in Greg Williams' defense, which I think Greg Williams' defense, you're really going to see a lot more fans after this year say, oh, yeah, he's a lot better. I don't think he's a. I think he's the same player he was last year. Maybe he'll improve on some slight things, but he's gonna be used in a different way. Leonard Williams is still a a Pro Bowl level type player, and I, I put him at number five. Yeah, and you'd like to see him like. The cool thing is, is he can do gap and he can do it well. But you want to see a player like him who does have a kind of a versatile skill set and has some pass rushing moves. You do want to see him, you know, penetrate more and get more opportunities to rush the quarterback without being molested by two guys. So. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm certainly very, I'm certainly very excited for, and we know that Quinn and Williams is going to draw away some attention. So, you oh, know, for sure. don't definitely expect to see Leonard Williams' numbers increase this year. Those pro football focus hurries and hits. Imagine, you know, they're already pretty good. I mean, the sack numbers might not be there, but he's good in the hits and hurries department, and you can imagine that, that will even go up.
I know, I know one guy, Michael Mania, who does all of our all all of our stat type stuff. He says basically, in terms of like other defensive linemen, he has a really unordinary amount of pressures and hits that are not converted into sacks. And you think it's gonna round out a little bit, um, throughout you know going going forward in his career, and especially when he's gonna be asking to do more stunts and which he's athletic enough to do and take on more one you know one gapping type roles instead of two gapping. He's he's gonna have an uptick this year, and like I said, he still is a very good player. So he's my number five. Um, who is he even is, 25 years old yet? Is he still 24 or 25? He's super young. He's younger than May by like I, a year. I think. I think. He, I think he's 20. I think he's 24. I mean, um, yeah, he's still very young. So I mean, this he's 24. Guy, he should get a. He should get a second contract with us. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think going into next offseason, Leonard Williams and Robbie Anderson are two guys who I, I think you could – not necessarily – I don't think they're the cornerstone pieces, but I think they're very important pieces to keep guys like that, like homegrown type guys who are – you know, Leonard Williams is a fantastic locker room guy as well, and Robbie Anderson, like I said, is one of the best deep throats in the NFL. So um, moving on to your number four, who would that be? Uh, before I got Leonard Williams there, and we just talked about him, so – the two Williams brothers in the top five. Yeah, we were just thought, we were talking about it before. The 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 potential that this defense has is 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 pretty scary. And I think going into next year, I think this year the Jets could compete for a playoff spot. Maybe maybe nine and seven, maybe ten and six at very best. Um, and then next year, if you're going to next offseason, you 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 lock up some guys like you know Rob Anderson, Leonard Williams. If you add a corner. A, a, you know, a top flight corner or, and maybe some depth there and you're adding an offensive lineman or two, this, this, this team you're seeing, it, it could, uh, it, it definitely has potential to be um, a kind of in a spot to make a deep playoff run if Sam Darnold does progress as I expect him to. So you have Leonard Williams at Hey, four. listen, if Gates went 10-6 in 2016 with that Dolphins roster, he can go 10-6 and six with this Jets roster. And our schedule is not – No, yeah. yeah our, 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 schedule is our schedule is not that tough this year. It starts off a little rough. But towards the middle and end of the season, it's a cakewalk, in my opinion. Oh yeah, if you're looking at the Jets, the first couple of weeks, like you said, are tough because you have you have teams like the uh, like the Patriots twice. But when you're going into that middle that middle portion of the season, which I never did a schedule show, I'll never do a schedule show. Um, and I'm trying to pull it up right now, but, yeah, but my computer's going a little bit slow. Okay, so yeah, so you have the Bills. You have the Bills. I'm not going to go by week by week, but like the Bills are a good team or a decent team. You have the Browns, which is tough. The Patriots, which are tough. The Eagles, which is tough. The Cowboys, which is tough. The Patriots, which are tough. But then after that, you have the Jaguars, which are good defense, but eh. You have the Dolphins, Giants, Redskins, Raiders, Bengals, Dolphins, you know, Ravens, Steelers, Bills. Exactly. Like, you know, so, uh, you know, I, I think I think they could be a 10-6 team, um, you know, this year. But uh, moving on to your number oh, – sorry, my number four, that's right, Robbie Anderson. Um, I think with wow. a more consistent offensive play caller – and a quarterback who would hit him deep. Like I said, there was multiple times that season where Darnold missed him deep. Even in that Lions game where he had adjusted for the ball, Darnold didn't make a great throw on his first touchdown pass. He burned Xavier Rhodes a couple times. He burned Jalen Ramsey a couple times uh, where, where Darnold would just miss him. Uh, they did you know, develop that chemistry. But I think even though he is a guy who is, yeah, he's, he's limited in terms of his route running. Uh, in terms of, yeah, he's not like Julio Jones with his route running. Um, but he's such a top-notch deep threat that his underneath route running doesn't need to be as polished. So I think he could win 
underneath. I think he can win on digs. I think he can win on outs or comebacks or stops, or whatever it may be, because people have to respect that speed. And you're asking him to go to run down the field in, in terms of you look at any type of stat, not rankings, but like stats with his 20 yard plus catches and stuff like that. Um, he's pretty ridiculous. So he's he's number four. I think he's a really, really, really good player just because of how I, I think if you if you really sort of breaking down deep threats in the NFL, I, I don't know if there's many guys I'm putting over him. I think he would easily be top top three to five, um, if not higher. So he's my number four. Yeah, and listen, this this player, he should have in this offense the shot plays that Gase takes. He should have ten plus touchdowns, no question in my mind. Although, if there's one thing that stops him from getting ten plus touchdowns aside from the injury, I will say, Donald Strongsuit is not throwing the nine round. It's not, and it's not a lack of arm talent there at all. It's just something with timing or something like that. He's a little bit more inaccurate in that area of the field. He, he actually, he actually, there was, there was multiple times on that on that throw to uh, it's either the footwork, which will put it either too low or inside, or he will overthrow. The the, the, the one time against the Ramsey, he overthrew him. He, the ball traveled like sixty five yards in the air, and he still overthrew. Him. Yes, yes. So, uh, but moving on to your uh, the top three, let's get into the top three. I wouldn't be shocked if we have the same exact order for this one. I'm going to guess that that might be possible, but here here goes. I got Mosley at three. I got Mosley at three as well. Okay. Yeah. And now um, it's just about two and one. Two and one, I changed it. So I had it, and I changed it just yesterday. Um, so I didn't change it, although, like, like, number one was so easy for me off the top of my head. And then when I got to number two, I was like, oh, shit, number two could <laughs> definitely make a case for one. Yeah. But uh, I, I, there's no way I was changing it. But anyway, do you want to say your two first? Yeah, well, just quickly, Mosley, I did a whole review on him. He he can play in coverage, super smart, diagnosing in the run game. He's a field general, soft-spoken, great leader, um, fantastic technique, which we were talking about, like slipperiness, where he just he, he shoots his hand first. He uses lateral um, agility um, and just and, and just a really keen you know awareness of plays and IQ. He's fantastic. He really is a really, really good linebacker. So people are like, oh, well, you know, don't yeah. sign him and sign Zadarius Smith, who made like – like three million dollars less you're you're signing a decent player or a pro ball to all pro level player like which one are you going to decide to to sign so mosley is top notch i'm going to take pro ball and the ravens had the ravens had both of these players which one were they willing to do on a huge contract to mosley not not as high as the Jets, but not smith yeah yeah, but no, exactly. And people, I think there's a little bit like people hear from whoever, like I think, you know, they don't really watch films, but they hear, okay, corners are really important, outside linebackers, offensive linemen. So they're willing to take decent, like obviously quarterbacks are a completely different scenario where I'm going to put that in there because I'd rather have a decent quarterback than pretty much an all-pro player at any position. But uh, factoring other positions, like people are, like they're so, they're so kind of, um, focus on corners and outside linebackers where they underrate middle linebackers. Middle linebackers make a huge impact in the game. So if I can sign an all-pro, pro ball level middle linebacker, I'm taking that over an okay outside linebacker every single day of the week. You know, he, So I, I think that's a little bit overstated positional value at this point. Like People are like, oh, well, you know, left tackle versus right tackle. There's not a huge difference, um, you know, in, in, in my opinion. So uh, I think the positional value thing is bullcrap with the Mosley signing. But um, any thoughts on that? And then move on to your uh, number two. Hey, listen, it, I mean, an elite player pretty much at any position can have a profound impact in the game. I think it's hard to argue that he's not an elite player when he's in that top three range. And, you know, he's kind of a game changer, especially like a middle linebacker. You're communicating with both the secondary and you're communicating with the defensive line. So, like, you – Communication is key in the defense, and this is something Todd Bowles struggled with. His defenses could not communicate with, well with one another, and this is probably part of the reason he saw so many busted plays. So, like, 
a linebacker who's smart, who can relay that information that he's getting from the coaches to the other players on the field. That's also a very underrated aspect. And this is a smart player, you know, so uh, I middle linebacker, uh, obviously not as valuable as some other positions on the defense, but to act like it's not valuable, of course, is, is stupid. Yeah, uh, got, yeah, because guys like Ray Lewis and Brian Arlacher and Keekley don't make big impacts. Obviously, he's not one of those players, but he's still top notch. So, um, moving into your number one and two, which I think I had a little bit more difficult of a time than you did, but I, we both know what players they are. But who is your number two? I have Jamal Adams at two. Interesting. Yeah, um, I put Adams at one. Um, and the main reason for that being that Bell has obviously taken a year off. He's in a new offense. Um, with not the same offensive line, and with uh, with that, like I said, he's, he's he's not been in the game for a year, and he has a lot of kind of a lot of miles on those tires. So is he going to be, you know, maybe he was elite, and now he's like a tick below elite, where he's like pro, like you know, all pro, but not like elite, like legendary type player. Um, where I think Adams, ah, I don't know. Yeah, see, this is the thing. I had Bell at one for a while, and then I just moved him down. But like, what Bell was at running back, if he could still be that. He's better than Adams is at safety um, because I. Yes, exactly. It's it's yeah. I have a tough time with this. Um, yeah, I don't know. Give me your give me your reasoning because I I know we have the same reasoning because Adams is super 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 good in the run game like elite. In the pass game, I think he's solid, but he's not elite in the in the pass game and pass coverage. He still has some some trip ups with with reading stuff or being a little bit over aggressive. You know, I'm I think I'm I think I'm gonna side with you. I think I'm gonna change this because. Bell, there's no weakness to his game. What, what is Bell's weakness? Minus, minus top flight speed. Um, but that's it. That's something you can't. There is none. Top flight speed is not really necessary to be a good running back in the NFL. Yeah. Of course, you know, Jamal Charles, he benefited from a lot of long touchdown runs because he could separate from any tra- trailing defenders. But, you know, on a, any given down, how, how often are you going to have a breakout run? You know, like you said, yeah. Bell doesn't have any weaknesses. Jamal Adams in pass coverage. Can be a little sus sometimes, even in uh, you know, even in man coverage uh, sometimes. But he's still an excellent player, man. But mm-hmm. but like I said, Bell is just elite everywhere around. I mean, just think of not to put too much stock into this, but you're like think about like the NFL top 100 players, like fellow players who played against these guys and then watched them in person. Bell for like the past however many years has been like top five in the league, voted on by several of his peers fellow players, top five yeah. player in the league as a running back, you know. So that just goes to show you – think about how well-respected this guy is throughout the entire league. And For sure. It, it's – I mean, there's not too many players that people think that, you know, are better than Le'Veon Bell in the league. I mean, a lot of people had him as the unquestioned best player to hit free agency this year, even given the fact that he, take, he took a year off. Um, and, I don't think it's close. And in praise, of, in praise of Jamal Adams, let's not forget – how good of um, uh, uh, he he is at diagnosing uh, defense? Uh, excuse me, offenses. And you know, I didn't watch it yet, but uh, NFL Network, uh, you know how they're doing the the, the film sessions with uh, Brian Baldinger and Jaws. Yeah. Um, Jamal Adams, I think he was on today. I don't know if it's available yet, but I got a notification on my phone, and it says something along the lines of Jamal Adams has elite football IQ, and I think it's fair to say that he does because you could see it in his rookie year that he's got very – I mean, he certainly had his mistakes at times, but a very good understanding of what offenses are trying to do and where he needs to be and where other players need to be. Yeah, he uh, – I'm excited. I think he's going he's gonna to win my next review. I already recorded like 78 plays on him. 
Um, and I, I'm going to keep him at number one just because if like Bell had a year off, which I think will actually benefit him. But I think where Bell, I'll be very happy if he if he maintains his like all pro level status. Um, but I think he's more on the downtrend, you know, in the next couple of years where Adams is on the uptrend, where Adams could be a better player than he was even last year. So um, plus what he brings yeah. to the team in terms sure. of leadership and all, all that type of stuff. I'm keeping Adams at one. Uh, I, he definitely did make strides in coverage. He's still not elite in coverage or even very good in coverage. I think he's just solid, uh, but he's very, very elite in the run game. But uh, Bell, if, if he is what he was, even in 2017, he's the best player on the team. And I don't think there's really um, an argument there because he, he just, he's so good. And, and so exciting this year. Like you look at the team we're talking about, like this is the most excited we've been for a season since, you know, almost, almost 10 years ago. Um, for me, 2011 and possibly even more because, you know, after, you know, I, I was pretty optimistic about Mark Sanchez early on, but, you know. After the first two games, you realize. <laughs> yeah, you could go like, yeah. he just was never taking those those necessary strides. And I've seen more on Sam Donald's film than I ever saw from Mark Sanchez. Oh, it's not even close. So, I, mean, just, I was just going to – I didn't even fight with the guy on Twitter the other day because, like, I put out a ton of videos and I get, like, a lot of, like, get, like, a lot of responses. And there's one kid who doesn't follow me talking about how Geno Smith is better than Sam Donald his rookie year. And I was like, listen, dude, like, I'm not even going to fight with you. I'm not even going to respond to anything you say no matter what it was, but you cannot be more wrong on this topic. <laughs> and he never answered back. But, yeah, it's just dumb. But it's just so exciting this year. Like, when you talk about Sam Darnold, I think he's going to be a top-notch quarterback in the league. And then even minus him, just looking at the, the overall talent we, we landed in, in free agency – um, two or three, or not even free agency, the draft as well. You're you're talking about three of your top five players going into this year were dressed in or added in free agency. And looking at Mosley and Bell, is there is there an argument that I don't think there's an argument that Bell is the best player in free agency? And Mosley was probably number two. And you added both of those to the same team. Um, super exciting. Plus, you know, Herndon in the second year. Plus Osemele. Plus Crowder. Um, this is definitely an exciting. I'm definitely excited for this. Uh, for this year, but uh, Kyle, anything else you want to uh, say before we, you, you know, we wrap up with you and then we're going to get into a uh, quick session with uh, Scott Mason. No, um, other than I, I really enjoyed it and you do really good work and outside of anybody who works in the Jets building and quite honestly, even probably people who work in the Jets building uh, other than maybe coaches, I don't think there's anyone who knows the team better than you and watches more Jets film than you. Uh, and who understands this team at a really serious level about what's really going on on the field better than you. So um, it's a pleasure to speak with you and to learn from you. Yeah, awesome, man. Uh, we were just talking about we, we paused before we just called in again. Uh, hopefully we can do this more because I, I definitely, definitely enjoy talking uh, football with you. The convers- even not, not even just the X's and O's because not a lot of people I can talk X's and O's with, but the conversations that come um, from even just talking about generic topics are always very fun. So uh, we'll definitely have you on before the season. We'll, me and you will set something up. I'll, I'll definitely shoot you a text when you figure that out. Yeah, sure. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks for having me on, Joe, and I uh, hope it all goes well with Scott. And now we are back. Uh, thank you to Kyle Smith for calling in. Uh, had a lot of fun doing our top 25. Another one, get some responses about players who you thought were too high or too low um etc but you know we do try to back it up with film it definitely was a fun show uh but now because i don't want to do a full show like a, you know like a like one of those shows like play like a jet where they do like a whole like hour on a guy like joe douglas i'm not one of those shows <laughs> so i wanted to uh have the host of play like a jet scott mason who's a frequent uh 
you know, he calls into the show. He hosts the show sometimes with me. And obviously, I go on a podcast all the time when there's film to be talked about. And there's no film. I'm kind of tossed aside like a dirty hooker, like I've said before. Um, but <laughs> Scott, is my, Scott is my inside type guy. Um, so, like I said, I don't want to do a whole show on Joe Douglas. I, I talked about it last week where I talked about some of the four candidates, the four main candidates. Didn't really have a ton of information for you guys. I said if they did hire a guy, I'll get information for you guys and talk about it a little bit more. But because I don't want to do a full show, I definitely want to wrap up with Scott, who talks to 37 billion beat reporters and stuff like that from, from <laughs> days to Philly days to what he's like now with you know our beat reporters. So um, just a couple questions for you, Scott, that I'm sure will take a little bit of time, but it informs some people. Um, just can you tell me how they decided on Douglas and you know what, what was really impressive about his resume and what you learned about some things um, that you heard from guys in the Ravens and the Eagles? I know it's a loaded question. It'll probably take you a little bit, but take your time because mm-hmm. I do want my listeners who, if they don't listen to your show, are, are not the brightest. But if they don't, uh, I want them <laughs> at least a little bit, little bit informed. So. Yeah, sure. So essentially what it sounds like happened is piecing everything together from the, the people I've talked to on the beat and so on and so forth. Gase and Douglas formed a pretty strong bond when they worked together in Chicago that one year in 2015. After that, Gase moved on to be the head coach in Miami and Douglas moved on to be the VP of player personnel in Philadelphia. And so that was a guy that Gase wanted right away and recommended to Christopher Johnson once this whole thing went haywire with Mike McCagnin. And so the job was pretty much always Joe Douglas's if he wanted it. I know that the Jets were not happy with that perception, but that was the way it was. It's not that the other candidates weren't good and that they weren't in consideration if Douglas had decided he didn't want to go or the money wasn't good enough or whatever. Champ Kelly is an outstanding candidate, and I think that he's going to get a lot of interviews for general manager openings if there are any this coming off season. Same thing with Terry Fontenot. George Payton just never took the interview because this is the third time that the Jets have been turned down by him, and I hope they finally take the hint that he's not interested. Scott Fitterer was a weird case because I couldn't get any information on him. I was able to get plenty on Fontenot, plenty on Payton, plenty on Douglas, and plenty on champ kelly but for whatever reason everybody i reached out to in seattle that managed to get back to me told me they didn't have much on fitterer which is kind of weird because he's been there for like 16 years so with joe douglas the reason why i think he stuck out to them was the gase connection and also from christopher johnson's point of view he didn't seem to have the stomach for another civil war because this past year got kind of ugly at the end between balls and mccagnan and it got really ugly really quickly with Gase and with, uh, with McCagnin. So essentially Christopher Johnson wanted something where he felt like there was going to be synergy, where you had two guys that were on the same page that were going to work together that had a, a working relationship in the past and that had proven they could work together. Now, obviously Gase and Douglas had only been together for one year, but there was a fairly strong connection there. And I think that that appealed very much to Christopher Johnson because he felt like, if he brought somebody in here that didn't have a connection to Gase, he was playing with fire because you could have another situation like what happened with McCagney where McCagney recommended hiring Gase and then it blew up real fast. So I think that was a big part of it for Christopher Johnson and a big part of it for Adam Gase. And I think it makes a lot of sense because Joe, if you think about it, the last time this franchise was in really good shape or put itself in really good shape was when they had real synergy. And the last time that happened was in 2006 
when Mike Tannenbaum took over as the general manager at the same time that Eric Mangini took over as the head coach, they had come up through the ranks together. They were close. They had shown they could work together. And the work that they did in three years laid the foundation for what Rex Ryan took over and took to the AFC Championship game two years in a row and put the Jets in the best position they had been in in a long time. Unfortunately, it kind of went sideways after that because once Mangini was gone, they haven't had somebody that really knew what they were doing in personnel for a while. Tannenbaum was a contract guy. Idzik was a contract guy. McCagnan was sold as a football guy, but clearly was in over his head as a general manager. So with Douglas, he's kind of the anti all of those guys in the sense that he came up the hard way. I spoke to, as you said, people in Baltimore. I spoke to people in Philly. I spoke to people in Chicago just to kind of get a feel for him and, and an understanding of what his strengths and weaknesses were. And in Baltimore, the thing that was really interesting is that once he got done playing football himself, he desperately wanted to work in football. And so he just badgered the Ravens over and over again, kind of the same way that a guy who really likes a girl in high school will ask her out, get turned down, ask her out again, you get turned be down. Careful with that now, Scott, it's 2019. <laughs> but, but for real, that's what happened until finally, I guess he badgered them to the point where they were like, well, this guy's not going away. Maybe we should give him a shot. And he came in, I think as an unpaid scouting assistant and just worked his way up through the ranks all the way up to the area scout, national scout. And he was responsible for a lot of, for banging the table for a lot of guys that would become key players with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, we both know, Joe, that the Ravens have been one of the better organizations in the last two decades, really, when it comes to running all aspects of their organization. They've won two Super Bowls. They've been in the playoffs a ton. They've been relatively stable in an unstable world in the NFL. And I think they've only had two head coaches since they, you know, they've moved to Baltimore, if I'm not mistaken. I have to think about this again, but uh, since Bill, or at least since Billick, and Harbaugh. So it's been a very stable situation there. And there have been a lot of really good draft picks, not just in the first round, but beyond. And even undrafted, I didn't know about this, but what I was told was the Ravens have a 15-year streak of having at least one guy make the team as an undrafted free agent, which is incredibly impressive for a team like the Ravens, Joe, because it's not like the Jets, let's be honest, where they're a terrible teams, so what's the big deal if some guy makes it as an undrafted free agent? When you're talking about a team like the Ravens that's constantly in the playoffs and going to Super Bowls, you find a guy that makes a team as an undrafted free agent, that's an accomplishment. And obviously we know a few of those guys. Jim Leonard was here. He was an undrafted free agent for the Ravens. Bart Scott was here. He was an undrafted free agent for the Ravens. But one of the guys that Douglas was able to, to pinpoint and recommend that they bring in as an undrafted free agent was Justin Tucker, who has gone on to be one of the best kickers in the NFL. He was responsible for banging the table for a lot of key pieces in Baltimore. One of them is a guy that will be a familiar face to him here, and that's C.J. Mosley. Apparently, that was Joe Douglas's doing. He was really big on Mosley. He was very high on Joe Flacco and was instrumental in convincing Ozzie Newsom and Eric DaCosta to make the move to trade up and make sure they didn't lose out on him. Now, we could say that Joe Flacco hasn't turned out to be the greatest quarterback of all time, but they got him with the 18th pick, and he did lead them to a Super Bowl and had at least a solid career. So with mm -hmm. the 18th pick, that's a pretty good value right there. Pernell McPhee, who's now back with the team, he left for a little while, but he's been a key contributor. Uh, also Ben Grubbs, 
who's been a really good guard in the NFL. And most importantly, and Joe, these are the kind of finds, and I'm not expecting a ton of these because this is obviously an extreme example, but he was responsible for really banging the table for Marshall Yanda, who's gone on to become one of the greatest guards in the history of the league. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame one day. They got him in the third round. And again, we know that the Jets have struggled in two areas mightily in the, in the last decade or so. One of them is being able to build the offensive line. The other one is being able to find guys past the first round to make an impact. Yonda fits both of those. And I actually joked with uh, one of the writers that I had on from the Ravens about the fact that Yonda will be, t- will be 35 at the end of next year, but he'll be a free agent and maybe Douglas will convince him to come here. And I think that Yonda is one of those guys that even though he's 35, kind of like Ray Lewis and we saw Kevin Y do this at I think 38 years old when he was on the Jets and went to an all pro uh, was selected as an all pro. You could see something like that with him. Uh, beyond that, with the Eagles, he was the perfect fit for what they needed because Howie Roseman had just taken over after Chip Kelly won a power struggle and then Chip Kelly lost the power struggle again and Howie was re- resurrected. When he came back, his thought was, look, I succeeded on the business end of this, but I, the reason why Chip Kelly was able to, to beat me in this power struggle is because I am not a personnel guy. I need a strong person to come in here and be my right-hand man and be responsible for helping to rebuild the core of this roster and find players. And so he went out and he brought in Joe Douglas after his one year in Chicago. Now, there is a misconception, Joe, that he had something to do with Carson Wentz. He did not. He actually took the job a couple of weeks after the Eagles traded up. Well, I should say they had traded up a few months before, but after they had drafted Wentz, after trading up all the way to number two, Douglas took the job. So he didn't have anything to do with that. But if you go through and look at a lot of the players on the roster, both. Hmm? So that just takes some easy research to figure that one out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it, it, it should. <laughs> no. Some people uh, some yeah, people no. let it fall through the cracks. I noticed that with quite a few people, Joe. I know that's what you're referencing. But <laughs> there, were a lot of key, <laughs> there were a lot of key additions, uh, both in the draft and in free agency. Alshon Jeffrey is a guy that he formed the bond, he forged a bond with in Chicago and was able to convince him to come to Philly on a relatively cheap one-year deal it was like one year, 10 million or whatever it was. And he convinced him, this will be the right thing for your career. You come here, you play with this young rising star, Carson Wentz, and you'll get paid after that. And sure enough, that's obviously exactly what happened. And a lot of the reason that Jeffrey decided to pick the Eagles was because of his relationship with Joe Douglas and his trust in him. You go through and look at a lot of these uh, draft picks there. There was a kid and I'm failing to remember his name, but he was picked in the fourth or fifth round uh, at corner. Uh, or rather, uh, I can't remember if it was corner or safety, but it's, it was a defensive back, and uh, he's pegged in. Uh, everybody believes he's going to be a starter this year, looked really good last year. There were some guys that they picked up off of the waiver wire that really made an impact in the playoffs, and even during the Super Bowl run. And you look at the draft picks that were made the last couple of years uh, by the Eagles, they've, they've been pretty good. The, the drafts have really improved under Joe Douglas, and really he's – the, the reason why he's such an attractive candidate is because he kind of checks all the boxes, right? So here's a guy that's been with multiple winning organizations. He believes in, I know there was a weird misconception that Joe Douglas doesn't believe in analytics. He dispelled that today when talking in a press conference about analytics, he said he thinks analytics are an important part of the equation. So he believes in analytics. He's obviously a big time film guy. 
Here's somebody that knows how to identify offensive line talent. He's shown repeatedly that he can find guys in the mid and even late rounds that can at least, if not be superstars, be meaningful parts of the roster. He's uh, learned under Ozzie Newsome, Howie Roseman, and even Ryan Pace. So there's a, a great pedigree there. And he's really shown over and over again that every single time he's been elevated, he's answered the call. The only thing with Joe – oh, and of course, the, the, one of the bigger parts of this equation, and we'll see if this holds true, he's shown that he can work with Adam Gase. Now, believe what you want. I don't – you know, you can think that the, he's exaggerating this or he's saying what he needs to say, but he did say during a press conference today that one of the biggest reasons that he wanted the job is because he believes in Gase and he knows that the two of them can work together and they have a great relationship and they're close. So – the fact that he can work with Gase is a huge thing because obviously we know Gase is not the easiest guy to work with and being able to have that synergy, having two guys on the same page is really important. So I think the only concern I have uh, other than, you know, maybe some clashes with Gase, which obviously you're going to have that concern with anybody that comes in here is I worry a little bit about the contract aspect. I'm curious to see who he brings in here to handle that because that's not really been, one of his major things that he's had to deal with. Funny enough, I'm going to say this, and I'll probably get smashed for it, but it would be great if he had John somebody Isaac. like John Idzik. Yep, exactly. So, you know, how he learned from Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman is arguably the best contract guy in the business right now. So hopefully he learned enough to figure out, okay, here's how I can find the right guy to do this. As far as building out the staff, look, it's going to be interesting. We'll talk about that if you want, but some familiar names being thrown out there. One of them, uh, you know, a prominent television name. McShay. But I, I think, to, yeah, McShay. Yeah, we can, we can talk about that too if you want. But I think just overall, and I know this is a long answer because like you said, it was a multi-part question. Yeah. The reason why Jeff Dance should be excited is because you have a guy here who is extremely well thought of for good reason. I just named you a ton of guys that he was responsible for pounding the table to bring in. He was a part of building a Super Bowl winning team in Philadelphia. He helped build two Super Bowl winners in Baltimore. He helped turn the Bears back around with Ryan Pace. He's well regarded as, as a scout and a personnel man. He can work with Adam Gase, which is important. And one thing that Chris Nimbley brought up is that in his investigation, talking to a bunch of sources, he and, and I can confirm this too from my discussions, I've yet to hear one single person say a bad word about Joe Douglas. Now, that could be because he's huge and scary and people are afraid of him. Certainly possible. But I think it's probably more likely that it's because everybody respects the job that he's done and everybody knows how well he's done in his various roles throughout the years in Baltimore, in Chicago, and in Philly. So basically to sum it up, I think that's why if you're a Jets fan, that would be the, the positives you would take from this. And that's why he stood out to Gase, to Christopher Johnson, and really to, to the outside uh, football world, the, the, you know, you go and you read the reactions, you can't find anybody that says terrible move by the Jets. Almost universally, it's being praised. Now, again, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but these are all good signs going forward. I think it's about as good of signs as you can possibly have. And you just look at his resume that like you were talking about, and you know more about it than I do, but 
the, the, the fact that he was with Ozzie Newsom, the Ravens were one of the most consistent organizations. He was with the Bears during their turnaround, who be, become a really, really good team and a playoff caliber team. The Eagles um, with, you know, uh, Howie Roseman, who was kind of looked down upon by fans when he came back, at least from what I heard. And then they, you know, t- turned that around into a Super Bowl team. So the three organizations he was uh, with in the last couple of years or the last 20 or so years, 15 years, whatever it may be, um, have all had turnarounds and from every organization all the people who are like surrounded by him or with him or whatever have talked really highly of him and it doesn't seem like it was one of those things where it's like oh yeah he's my friend so like you know let's say if you suck that podcast thing and i was like your boss and i was like oh yeah he's he's yeah he's good you know like it, it seemed like legitimate that they were like okay he's a really really good dude he's a really integral part of what we do here and we don't want to lose him but we understand why he's getting all these interviews and he was a guy who was really thought like thought, thought highly of by everybody through their organization and even in media. So uh, really, really good resumes or anything. Else. And in terms of Todd Mashay, listen, I know he talks about the draft, but he's never been in an official scouting role. And I don't know how much he actually knows mm-hmm. film. I haven't seen anything where I've been like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, man. He just talked about – like I, I would think that any scout in the NFL or even like coaches, were, like they could turn on film like show me something like, oh, what the hell is that? Like what does he mean by that? Like I have to look up that, that concept. But with McShay, I'm never really impressed. From like me being like a you know a air quotes film guy, I've never seen anything impressive from him with film. So do I want him as the head film guy and scouting guy? I'm not about that. Um, I feel more comfortable with a guy like you know. I'm sure you share this opinion because you're smart. <laughs> I'm being a, I'm being a little bit douchey, uh, obviously. But like Daniel Jeremiah, who's been in a scouting role, with sure. the Rangers, I would be more comfortable with him than Todd McShay. But um, to, to wrap it up, is there anything else you want to add about his resume? Uh, anything about the staff? You can obviously comment on McShay. And then with mm-hmm. that, uh, the last question of being a three-parter, um, the presser today. You, you took away that he said he was really good friends with Adam Gase. Um, is there anything else that was really – uh, that stood out about it because I've been recording a podcast for three hours, so I haven't been able to watch it. <laughs> well, first thing I'll add, the last thing to the resume part, what I think is important to understand is that sometimes people get a little bit nervous about a guy who stays somewhere for a really long time. So I think Terry Fontenot would have been an outstanding candidate. I think George Payton would have as well if he had decided to take the interview. I don't know enough about Fitterer beyond – little blurbs I've read. Like I don't like to make judgments unless I really dig into a candidate. So I can't really say, but those guys, to me, there is a little bit of worry with the sense that, okay, this guy has only been in this one place. Do we know that it's him or is it just the organization? Like, because with a guy like Champ Kelly, he did it in Chicago and he did it in Denver and the organizations have turned around both times. I mean, obviously they went to the Super Bowl twice in Denver and won one while Champ Kelly was there. And now the bears are turning things around and he's been a big part of, of that in the front office with Douglas. It's interesting because yes, he was at Baltimore for 15 years, but then he went and did a good job in Chicago and then obviously did a great job in Philly. So he's been a part of three different winning organizations. So you can't just say, Oh, well, it, he's just, you know, he was Ozzie Newsom, Ozzie uh, Newsom's toady. How do, how much do we do? Do we know that he did? He's done it in three separate places so that, that's one key thing to, to remember as far as his resume. With the presser, essentially, Christopher Johnson just said he's the right guy. Adam Gase said he's smart as a whip and knows what he's doing. And everybody knows that if Joe Douglas recommends a player, you should listen to him because Joe knows what he's doing. And Douglas basically said, you know, what I told you about Adam Gase, he also said that when he met Christopher Johnson, he knew this is the right place for him, which, I mean, let's be honest, I'm sure he was just saying that to appease the boss because that's, clearly ridiculous 
<laughs> um, and then he, he said that um, he believes in analytics and film. He, he's big on, on finding players that, <laughs> I like this quote, he said, guys that hate losing more than they love winning. And he also said that he believes that the, the main core, the, yeah, I thought that was a good one for sure. And he believes that the core of the team is to build in the trench, obviously get the quarterback and then build in the trenches, which leads me to believe, Joe, that his biggest offseason priority is going to be rebuilding that offensive line. And it should be because we've talked about this. Even Assemble, we don't know how much he's got left. He's been hurt. He's got a bad back. He's, what, 30 years old. He's expensive, so we don't know the deal there. Winters is okay, but nothing special. Beecham and Shell are both free agents. We don't know exactly what they're going to get out of uh, Adoga. So he's got a task ahead of him in rebuilding that offensive line. Now, if he can find another Marshall Yonder, that would be incredible. <laughs> but I think he probably realizes that the defensive line is well on its way to being one of the strengths of this team with the Williams boys. Henry Anderson's pretty good. So uh, I, it sounds like he's a guy that really likes that like tough, hard-nosed type of football, and he likes tough players. And so that's kind of the thing that he's going to be looking for. Uh, and, and, and with McShay, it, the, the names you're hearing now is um, there's a guy named Alexander whose first name escapes me. He's in the, the uh, Ravens organization. Apparently he has close ties to Douglas. McShay was Joe Douglas's college roommate. And the, the problem with McShay is exactly what you said. I've seen no evidence that he can be an actual scout. People say, well, his job is to watch college players all year. All right, yeah, but he's never proven that he can actually do it successfully in the league. And on top of that, if you look at some of his evaluations, I'm not super impressed. The thing with McShay that is uh, possibly useful, okay, depending on the, the – hmm, yeah, exactly. And Chris Nimbley brought this up to me, but he's got a point. If they bring him in in a role where he's not a scouting director or he's not necessarily a scout per se, but he's there in some sort of role where he utilizes his connections to get information, then it might be worthwhile. I, I don't know if it sounds like McShay would probably want to come here in some capacity if Douglas offered the job. So there's, there's that possibility. Uh, they're talking about Phil Savage who ran the senior bowl and was in the Browns front office on the staff. I'd like to see what he does with a contract guy. And also, I would be very curious to see, there were rumors that Champ Kelly and Terry Fontenot could both be in the mix with Douglas. Kelly, the interesting thing there is obviously he worked with both Gase and Douglas in Chicago. So there's ties there all the way around. The only thing is people are thinking that Kelly is going to be on the short list for a ton of teams next year as a general manager. So why make the move now? Just stay with the Bears another year. But if if he's willing to come, I would love to see that. Fontenot, I would love to see, although I don't know of any connection necessarily to Gase or Douglas there, but he has a tremendous track record in New Orleans. But, yeah, it sounds like he's piecing uh, guys together. I would assume he's going to try and poach some guys from Philly. I don't have any specific names, but I know that Howie Roseman is already out there basically – trying to keep his guys in house. Uh, there was a story yesterday that he said that he's, uh, that Douglas is apparently telling people come with me because you'll get more opportunities here because Philly has a loaded front office and you're not going to get the same chances that you will with me. Mm-hmm. And Roseman is basically in no uncertain terms telling these guys that Douglas is full of it. So 
that, that's where we're at right now. I would expect to see some guys poached from Baltimore and from Philly. And I think McShay is certainly in the mix, Phil Savage. I'm not sure about Kelly or Fontenot, although I would like to see it. Like I said, uh, Kelly may stay in Chicago or may not be interested simply because he may feel like he's going to get offers to be a GM and why move for a year. So that's where I think we're at with this. But I think uh, Joe Douglas has shown that he has an eye for talent, both on the field and in the front office, obviously helped build a really successful staff there in Philly with Howie Roseman. So I'm willing to trust Joe Douglas when it comes to all of these things. Whereas with Adam Gase, I feel like he has to earn my trust. I will believe it when I see it for now. I'm very skeptical based on his track record with Joe Douglas. It's the opposite. His track record is so good that he'll basically have to lose my trust. So that that's where we're at right now. And don't forget Joe Douglas has a six year deal. That was the other thing he talked about in the press conference, by the way, is that he signed that deal because he wants to be here for the long haul what I understand, and I think Manish Mehta from the Daily News was reporting this, uh, it was he wanted to make sure that he gets at least three drafts. So he didn't want it to be like a John Idzik thing where he signs a four-year deal and then let's say something happens, you know, Woody comes back or whatever, and then he gets fired after two years. He wanted to make sure that he had real job security for the next few years. So mm-hmm. uh, his, the real heavy lifting, unless something crazy happens, you know, there's a lot of these guys that are apparently on the trade block now, unless something crazy happens with that, the bulk of his work is going to start after the 2019 season. But I think if you're a Jets fan, you have to be very happy about who's in the front office now. Like I said, I'm still, you know, pretty worried about Gase, but at least for the first time in a long time, you can look into the front office and say that they have a guy there that, has shown repeatedly that he can succeed in, in various roles there and seems like as, as safe of a prospect to be a general manager, a first time general manager as anybody that you're going to find around the league. Yeah. The, the, I'm not too high in the whole um, McShay thing. You're talking about the offensive line. So like, obviously that's a, that's a big draw for me. It's like, we need to address the offensive line. You're talking about corner too. We found that late corner, whoever it was, who's like now a starter. Um, and that could have just be a diamond in the rough, like, you know, like Robbie Anderson for McCagden and Nick. We also go with receivers. Right. Like you never really know that stuff, but offensive line is proven a little bit. And um, I'm going to turn down. I, I just want to dispel any any rumors. I have gotten texts from Douglas. I'm not going to take a job. Uh, I'm happy with my job. <laughs> I'm going to stay doing TOJ film. <laughs> no, okay. Yeah, I had to give Joe a huge raise. Don't kid yourself. If you're listening to this, <laughs> Joe held us up for money because he told us that. You know, if Douglas came calling, he would at least listen. So we, it was kind of like one of those college coaches. When a bigger college come, uh, comes calling, you have to give them some big-time contract extension. So, I'd be more than willing to chart for them. That would be freaking frig- like, frig- awesome. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Scott, we appreciate you for jumping on. Um, you know, good 20, 25 minutes of information about Douglas. Like I said, you're much more informed about it. You talk to much more people and you're, you're more articulate than I am with talking about that stuff. <laughs> We're also like, oh yeah, you know, that's stuff and some other good stuff. Um, so we appreciate you for, for, uh, jumping on and, uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you very soon. Yeah, no problem. You mind if I real quickly plug what's going on oh, over yeah, sure, at Play yeah, Like a sure. Jet? Um, yeah, go ahead. You're doing, you're doing some, definitely some great stuff right there. Go ahead. Thanks, man. And by the way, you're, you're going to be uh, a part of that where we taped something. Uh, obviously, we, we had to kind of sidetrack it because of the whole Mike McCagney getting fired thing. But we're going to review 
the prospects from the draft, uh, just, you know, basically talking about how well we think the Jets did player by player. Joe, you're coming on to talk about that. And so is Brett Coleman, who was on before the draft. So oh, am I coming this is on a good... or, did I, or did I record this like a month ago with you? <laughs> okay. You're, you will be heard. Your, your thoughts on this will be heard on the show, but, but, but it all, but in all seriousness, it's perfect time to do that because now we have this space before training camp. So we can get kind of a glimpse at what you and Brett Coleman, who are two of the best out there, think about what the Jets did and the, the individual players that they've, they've gotten. Uh, right now, we're in the middle of a bunch of series, too. So uh, a lot going on. Chris Nimbley is coming on. to talk. Uh, Chris Nimbley and Daryl Slater have been coming on to cover training camp. They'll still be coming on even when there's no tra- – uh, or I should say OTAs and, and mini camp. They'll still be coming on at least once a week. We'll go through the latest news and, and notes before training camp gets started at the end of July. Michael Nanny has got some exciting stuff coming up. We, uh, I don't know when this is getting posted, but this Thursday we're going to release an episode. We did one last week uh, basically going over Mike McCagnon's draft record, really delving into the numbers. We're going to do this week – Mike McCagnon versus John Idzik, and you're going to find out some very fascinating things about the comparison between those two. And it's uh, the way I, I was joking is this is an instruction manual for Joe Douglas. He should listen to this show and then do the exact opposite of everything that McCagnon and John Idzik did when they were here. Uh, and then we're going to get into some uh, – he did a deep dive. He's doing game by game a deep dive on um, Sam Donald's statistics from his rookie year game by game. And Joe, you're going to come on soon. We're, we're going to break down that hundred plus play review that you did of Darnold. It's right now at 125. I think it's going to end up being a little bit over 150. Well, (laughs) as soon as you're ready, we'll, we'll, we'll have you on to to talk about it. Um, And then uh, a series that I'm doing, and it's kind of weird how the, (laughs) so Manish Mehta of the New York daily news uh, obviously I've been critical of him plenty. I've also praised him when I felt that he deserved it. I, I've always been fair with all these guys. I don't like to, to paint with a broad brush. Uh, I've said this before. I think that there are good things about Manish and there are plenty of questionable things. You and I have talked about this, Joe, but I do think in terms of like breaking news, he's probably the best on the beat. And it's hard to really get breaking news in this day and age because all the breaking news ends up going to Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport. So it's a real struggle for local guys to get breaking news, but he tends to do it far more often than anybody else. You remember uh, he was the only one that had that story about how John Morton's job was in jeopardy. And then sure enough, he ended up getting fired. Mm -hmm. So uh, I basically had said, I joked on Twitter, I've had every beat reporter on the show, except for there were four of them. I think it was Dan Lieberfeld from Jets Confidential, Andy Vasquez from the Bergen record, who's going to be coming on soon, by the way. Um, and then Manish and uh, Ali Anazone from uh, Newsday, who I doubt will ever come on because I uh, once said that he should have stuck to covering the basketball beat. <laughs> but, you know, neither here nor there. So um, I said, you know, I doubt Manish would want to come on because, you know, I've been critical of him. And he said, hey, let's do it. And I give Manish a lot of credit, Joe, because I talked to him beforehand when we were planning out when we were going to tape this. And I said, hey, is there anything you don't want me to ask? I do not want to sandbag you. That's not what I do. So if there's something you don't want to talk about, you tell me. And he said, as long as it pertains to my work or the NFL or the Jets, you ask whatever you want. My work is public. I'm happy to talk about it slash defend it. And, you know, whatever, you know, I'm a big boy, fire away. So I said, okay. And 
we ended up having a really long chat that I'm releasing in parts. And I think it's fascinating, Joe, because how many parts a lot of people do- say it again. So how many parts is that going to be? How, how, how long is that audio? Cause I know I, I've, I listened I, to the first part and it's like, it's basically what it basically is. It's, it's you guys having a conversation, but you also kind of putting his feet to the fire with some things he's talked about before. So it's, it definitely is interesting. Yeah, that's exactly what the intention is. It's we're having a conversation and I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I'm also trying to get answers to questions that, you know, Joe, the whole point of play like a jet was I started it because it's like, okay, what would I want to listen to as a Jets fan? Oh, I'd love to hear a show that went back in time and got players that were there for certain events or seasons or whatever and pick their brain and ask for their memories. And, and it's, that's been a lot of fun. And it's like, okay, I'd love to hear about film. Oh, Joe Blewett is great with film. Oh, I'd love to know about stats. Let's talk to Michael Mania. What's going on with the breaking news? Let's talk to Daryl Slater, Chris Nimbley. On and on down the line, or, you know, these, these GM candidate shows are the stuff about Douglas. I'm trying to find out the information that, as a fan, I myself would want, so I assume a lot of other fans want. So I've been asked, uh, you know, that it's going to come out in, I think, four parts. Uh, part one just got released, but what I did was, and you talked about it, Joe, I, we had a conversation. I asked him tough questions. I tried not to badger him and I wasn't rude or disrespectful about it, but I definitely tried to hold his feet to the fire on a variety of different subjects. And I think the thing that's interesting about this is I think honestly, I'm the first person to have him on for a long form chat where we talked about all these controversies for sure. and he kind of really got a chance to give his side of the story and we get answers. And not only that, but he's never really talked about anything in his personal background before. And I was able to talk to him about that as well. His journey to his current position with the daily news. There's some really cool stuff about Manish that people don't know. And I just have to say, I think it's funny, Joe, you'll get a kick out of this. I had so many people like, tell Manish, we hate him. He's a jerk. He's this. Why are you giving him a platform? It's like, well, listen, you hate Manish the reporter you don't know Manish the person and that was part of what I wanted to do here was so people would get an idea of okay here's his work here's his controversies what's going on with that let's hold his feet to the fire but also who is Manish as a human being because then you kind of have a different perspective and I also think that it's funny that people say to me oh why are you giving Manish a platform Joe I think we both know this I'm very proud of what I've built with uh, play like a jet. And I shouldn't say I weave cause it's been you and me and Nanny and Joe Caparoso and, and nimbly and Daryl Slater and so many other people that uh, Alan Schechter that have helped build up the brand. In fact, we, we hit the top 200 on iTunes sports uh, this week, which is incredible because awesome. you're talking about a, a show that covers a, a, a one regional team. And we're in June when there's really no football going on. So I'm really proud that we all work together to make that happen. But Manish doesn't need my platform. The guy's got 75,000 followers on Twitter. He's a feature columnist and a beat reporter for one of the biggest daily newspapers in the entire country and the biggest market in the country. He's on television and radio constantly. He has his work cited by some of the biggest publications and television shows and radio shows all over the country. So he doesn't need me. And he didn't need to do this either. He did not need to give me all, all this time. He did not need to come on and subject himself to these questions, but he chose to do it. So for whatever you want to think about Manish, you should at least have respect for the fact that he was willing to do that and finally, you know, give answers to these questions. And, and I think that the, the idea that me giving him a platform is some sort of big deal is hysterical because he's got a platform that's a hundred million times bigger than mine ever will be. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it's like saying I give a if I if I had like Ben Roethlisberger on, like why well, give him a platform? It's like, what? <laughs> right. um, yeah, so Scott, we I definitely people should check that out. I listened to part one already. Um, definitely some interesting questions, and uh, like I said, well, we'll definitely talk to you soon. I'll, I'm sure I'll have you on for something or a fun show, or I'll be on your podcast, uh, you know, relatively soon. So. No, I appreciate it, man. And like I said, we'll uh, we'll definitely tape that Darnold thing soon. And we're gonna, you know, we're gonna roll with you and Brett Coleman on the draft pick stuff, which, like I said, June is a perfect time for that. So uh, it's gonna be fun, man. This is a weird deal, Joe. As you know, normally there's nothing going on in June. We don't have much to talk about. If nothing else, the Jets gave us a bit of a gift here. <laughs> yeah, they do always. It's always like, oh, we're we gonna talk about yeah, new GM, new coach, new this, <laughs> right. new quarterback. So uh, Scott, we definitely appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me, Joe. Always a pleasure. And anytime you want me, you know where to find me. Yeah, I got your number. I'll, get, I'll give that out soon so everybody else can text you as well. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, so big thanks to Scott Mason. Um, this is Tuesday. It is 6.35. I have to leave for work in 25 minutes. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to post it Wednesday. Uh, over, I think it's an over a three-hour show. Uh, so big, big show. A lot to talk about. Or a lot was discussed. Um, I do have to run. Like I said before, uh, F ton of work goes into the show. If you could just leave two seconds, even just leave a five star rating, which you got one of. If you could, leave, if if you could take an extra ten seconds and write, love this podcast. That that's really really good. Reviews are great. And uh, like I said, Patreon, I I do have one now. I'll post a link if you feel so uh, willing to help me out there. Like I said, I help the show out. And that's pretty much it. Um, thank you for listening. And I'll be back. Uh, I think next whenever day I record, I'll be doing. I believe it's Clutch Yosama is my next review. So uh, stay tuned for that. And thank you everybody for listening. I really, really do appreciate the support and everybody's reaching out and say they love the film work and stuff. So thank you for that. Appreciate it.